Welcome to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African deity, Eshu Legba, a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims. And we are really excited to have on the air uh, Dr. Kim McMillan and uh, Ms. Nina Serrano to talk about the International Day to End Violence Against the UN International Day to End Violence Against Women and Girls, and the 16-day campaign, which kicked off with a wonderful poetry reading last Wednesday, November 25th, and it continues through um, December 10th, the, uh, the UN International Day um, for Human Rights. And uh, so we are going to, like, replay that for everyone who was unable to make the beautiful and moving uh, poetry reading um, that was virtual, uh, this, uh, November 25th. So welcome, Kim, and welcome, Nina. How are you both? Fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. Oh, you're it, quite it, welcome, thank Nina. You. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yes, it's nice so to I, be with you and Kim. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a real treat for all of our, our listeners. And uh, so I'm going to read your bios, and, and then um, I want you all to talk about um, Mama Kulta, Kult, how do you pronounce um, Mama's Mama Koat. Koat. I want you to talk a little bit about her and, and this, this important day that not many people know about, and um, but now they're, they know about it so they can do some things uh, to help protect our women and girls uh, locally and uh nationally and globally. So Dr. Kim McMillan is a producer, playwright, and upcoming Willow author. Voyages is the name of the piece. Uh, McMillan is a contributor to the anthology Some Other Blues, New Perspectives on the Mary Baraka, Ohio University Press, University Press 2021. Um, she also produced the Dillard University Harvard Hutchinson Center's Black Arts Movement, 2016 conference in New Orleans and with UC Merced Center for the Humanities, uh, ASUCM, and the Office of Student Life. Ms. McMillan co-produced the 2014 UC Merced Black Arts Movement Conference, 50 Years On. So again, welcome, Kim. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And Nina Serrano is a famous person. She is so wonderful, a 
wonderful Vallejo poet. <laughs> She's published three books of poetry and a novel. She has also edited an anthology of bilingual English-Spanish poetry, Poetry in Flight. Uh, Nina produces regular poetry radio programs on KPFA, FM uh, 94.1 in Berkeley, and OzCat Radio in Vallejo. Her work can be seen on her website, Nina Serrano, N-I-N-S-E-R-R-A-N-O.com. And, uh, yeah, welcome again, Nina. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> so um, perhaps um, maybe, Nina, you could start um, and talk about this important day, um, the UN uh, International Day to End Violence Against Women and Girls, and, and how you came to know it. Yes, I'd be happy to. I'd like to dedicate all of my words today to my late friend and compañera, Mama Coat, Sylvia Parra, who first introduced me to this important UN-mandated date, November 25th, for the elimination of violence towards women. It was in 2008 in San Francisco. Mama Coat was a poet, musician, and healer an undocumented Mexican immigrant and single mother who called herself the border-crossing goddess. As a relentless activist in Mexico, she was used to participating in communal, artistic, spiritual, and ceremonial events for this day. Surprised that there were none in San Francisco, California, she went to the 16th Admission BART station, which is a subway station, with a few other women, and offered prayers and cleansings. When we met in 2008, after a poetry reading, she suggested we organize a November 25th cultural event for the elimination of violence towards women. We did this for eight years until Mama Coat's untimely death at age 50 from cancer in 2015. At one of our last wonderful events, we were helped by Kim McMillan, who's here today, to hold the event on the steps of the San Francisco City Hall at noon. Poets, musicians, Aztec dancers, organizational representatives, and even two city supervisors participated. At the end, we stepped down from the City Hall steps and formed a large circle of over 125 people on the grass. Mama Coat blessed each person with a cobal smudge, and we all vowed to work to end violence towards women. That year, she was invited by the San Francisco City Board of Supervisors to City Hall. She was afraid to go because of her undocumented status, but she went and instead of being jailed, she was honored because of her work in behalf of the elimination of violence towards women and girls with a civic proclamation. And uh, wow. that, that was my introduction to this day, was through her. And then for eight years, we organized events for that day. And this year, it was such a pleasure to be part of that event that we did with Kim, where all the poets came together, and I felt really honored to be with such fine poets. 
and you're going to be sharing some of that reading with your listeners this morning. Yes, I certainly am. I'm going to be sharing, yeah, as much as much as I can. <laughs> um, yeah, today um, after um, our second uh, live guest, we're gonna we're gonna just play it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much to both of you um, for um, you know making that available to my audience. So, Kim, do you want to add uh, your reflection um, to um, our opening uh, sort of uh, introduction to what this all means and how you pulled together the wonderful reading? How many poets were with us last last Wednesday? It was, it was I, I believe it was about <laughs> 14 poets, 13 or 14. And okay. I just have to give so much praise to Mama Kawat and Nina and there were other people, too. I, I remember Teresa uh, uh, Jade Leon set up a website for us, a web page where we listed all the events. And I was just honored to be there. It was an, it, The energy in the air was one of we're healing, not only ourselves, but we are there to heal other people. And though one event may not seem like Oh, it's going to make a difference. On an energy level, it felt like we were joining with the planet Earth, with women, with allies to really create a different paradigm, one where women had equal rights and were seen as not only beautiful people, really seen that deserved to have equality on this planet. And that means no violence, no violence towards anyone. And it was just, it was just the most healing event. I even remember the weather. It was like kind of windy. Y'all had jackets on, but there was so much in the air. And I remember when Mama Kowat was so nervous and we were all saying to her, no, you must speak, you must speak. And she did it. And it, was so brave of her and and she had that kind of bravery and I feel she watches over us I feel that that this was something that she cared about and although she's passed I believe in the world uh, that she is in now that she is still watching over women I believe that was one of her life missions to be a healer planetary healer particularly for women and it was an honor to be there. I think Nina was the one that asked me to take part. I was so honored. And and creating, we're all living in this busy society now where we have, have to do things on Zoom because of the pandemic and wanting to be safe, particularly since so many of us are older now. And it was because of Peggy, I had mentioned to the group and Peggy Morrison, the poet, that we should do something um, for to acknowledge the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women on November 25th. And I was so busy and so, I guess, a bit self-absorbed that I felt like I didn't have the time for it. And about three days before it was going to happen, two or three days, Peggy said, oh, we're supposed to do that, Kim. Let's get going. And so I think within about a day, we just organized the whole entire thing. And I'm very grateful that, that she said that because I realized how important it was 
And we needed to do that. So very, very, very grateful for the women and the men around me who both took part um, in what I consider uh, just, just a wonderful acknowledgement of the need for to, to end violence against women on the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly, certainly. Yeah, yeah. So um, do you all want to share some poetry? Um, I, yes, I think I'm ready. I'm, <laughs> I'm going, this is one of the poems that I read at the reading that Kim organized. I want to talk for a minute about Kim McMillan. I've known her for many years, and she's always been the way she is now, deeply spiritual and loving and positive and able to bring people together very quickly because they respond to her loving energy. And I'm very proud of her also for being a doctor, for being Dr. Kim McMillan. She was a... a, struggling young artist when I first met her and on on her own energies she was able to earn a PhD her own labor and her own work and money so I'm very very proud of her and she's used her PhD for the benefit of the people for the rest of us what a kind thing to say, Nina. Thank you. Well, I'm I love so Nina. proud of you, Kim. I just love Kim. Nina. She, Thank you. I just have to tell you one thing about Nina. When we were younger, <laughs> we had all kinds of projects we just loved. We were old ladies once, it, it selling, um, not selling, but giving away. I think, it, I can't remember, we, we always had Cookies. like these different, yeah, we had different artistic jobs, We and some of them paid w- really well. We both were um, uh, storytellers at Children's Fairyland in Oakland. We just, we just loved to do creative things, particularly with young people, and it's just been an honor knowing Nina, a, a real honor. The same, Kim, thank you. So my first poem is about my brand-new seventh great-granddaughter. I should mention that I'm 86 years old. And this poem is called Leilani. Yesterday, the smoky air cleared. I visited my seventh great-granddaughter for the first time wearing a mask, gathering safely in the lush garden of ripe peaches, figs, squashes, pumpkins and tomatoes, as marnics and hummingbirds flitted among the flowers. Seated, I held her mellow and beautiful being in my arms and said her name, Leilani, aloud. Sweet Leilani, heavenly flower, I sang to her, but could not catch her infant smell through the mask. Peering into her face, searching for resemblances, I saw different elusive family members race by in her random expressions. She fit so snugly against my body, as if she'd always been there. 
though only 18 days old, she always had. When her mother spoke, he turned towards her. Soon she was nursing contentedly in her tender embrace, falling asleep. I left with a bag of ripe, sweet peaches, my heart full, and the word resilience on my mind. Resilience. Beautiful. Wow, that's so beautiful. Yes, Leilani. (laughs) Wow, I didn't know that you were... um, such an elder, Nina. Wow. I've known you for yes. a long time as well. You have, and I have been reading your work for a long time because uh, I would read it in the newspaper where you had this wonderful column reporting on all the community cultural events. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember when I met you, but I... I've known your work and, and your voice and been in your company for for so long. Um, yeah. Yes, it's been long. And the wonderful yeah. thing is that we're both still active. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Should yeah. I read another yeah. poem? Yeah, certainly, certainly, it's, please. Mm-hmm. This poem is called This is about my grandson, Andres, who lives in Alameda, and it's called Mm. Sea Spirits in Pandemic Times. Every day, Andres sends me news on email of the sea lions and seals who bask on a floating pier near the beach he visits in Alameda, California. He contemplates the water seeking spiritual thoughts that come in rippling circles caused by the pebbles he throws. He reports, seals and sea lions good, and my heart rejoices to read it. Oh, that's so sweet. This poem is not so sweet. This is uh, about the theme of Violence Towards Women, and it's called The Story of Two Ninas. Two Ninas, a generation apart, the younger said to the older, I read in your biography that as a child, you traveled in New York City on subways and buses alone. The older, in response, told the younger how between the ages of 10 and 12, She had seen so many penises because sometimes men on trains exposed themselves, penis after penis. The younger said, me too. I traveled on subways and buses at those ages and taking advantage of crowded conditions, men would rub against me. Neither of the Dinas had ever discussed this aloud. They had simply found clever, youthful ways to escape their pursuers, assuming it was part of the price of freedom to travel. It took thousands of me-toos decades later to mention it because sexual harassment had become so common, 
so unspeakably unnotable that even now, decades later, when two accused molesters sit on the Supreme Court to pass judgment determining what civil society allows, the two Ninas broke their silence. Their misadventures spilled out, trapped for decades as the shared Me Too Stories movement begins an unstoppable avalanche to smash the patriarchy. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. I'm going to take a little break to hear Kim and rest up before I read some more poems. <laughs> okay. We've got a we've got about ten minutes left. Okay, go ahead, Kim. Share something with us. You know, Kim, I have a request too. Um uh, I really oh, want sure. if you have time to share your, your full moon poem that you wrote. We had a beautiful full moon last Saturday. It was lovely. Oh sure, sure. Well I, I wrote it because of um Berkeley poet laureate Rafael Jesus Gonzalez. He sent mm-hmm. me poems about the moon. And I just had to send another poem also because, or write one, because I was so in admiration of his work. And Mm -hmm. so this is my poem on the moon. (laughs) Do all poets write poems to the moon? Are we caught in her sacred orb, willing to share parts of ourselves that we would tell no one? Do we feel the moon calling to us? When caught in between worlds, wishing for moonlight to bathe away our inner sorrows and carry us to sacred shores where we whisper our needs, caress our dreams, and lie awake hoping for our moon lover. Day after day, night after night, gazing inward, determined to discover those parts of ourselves, not more to this earth, carried by the tides to places unknown, but dreamt of, hoped for, visualized in the illumined sky, colored by the starlight, glimpsed in the moonlight, cherished in the sunlight, but forever bathed by the moon, channeled by the stars, and awakened by love. I, you know, sometimes a poet writes a poem and you just want to say your thoughts. It doesn't have to be even about their poem, but just on the very thing that they spoke of. And that's how I felt when I read Raphael's poem. It's just beautiful. That's beautiful, Kim. Oh, thank you, Nina. Thank you. I just have one other poem to read, and then I'd love to hear whatever Nina has to read. This is from my play that's coming out, um, uh, Voyages, which um, Wanda reviewed in the 80s. And this is one of the first poems in the play, which is a choreo poem. Upon awakening with the gift of life, I cried. Was I tossed out of heaven, left here to contemplate my existence? I did not know my way back and was not sure how to get home. They stared at me, so cute 
so helpless. Didn't they know I had loved, I had ruled, and been part of a great society? And yet, I laid helpless. In the beginning stages of life, I looked up, seeing faces that I had known before, perhaps not that, not that shape or color, but I had known them. I had known each person assembled. I had chosen them, hoping to be guided back to heaven. So that's my last. (laughs) Wow, thank you. That was beautiful. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yes, I enjoyed that, Kim. Beautiful. Oh, thanks, Nina. Your work is always so spiritual and loving. Oh, Oh, well, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) You Sometimes we get sad by life, and sometimes we write poems, at least I do, to uplift me. You know, when you hit a rough patch, you pick up Mm. your pen, and then you just write something that you feel could heal that part of you that that is having trouble. Yes, I have that experience also. Yes, yes. Very well put. Thank you. Yeah, writing is well. This poem I'm going to read is called Ancestors Stir the Pot. The ancestors like the kitchen. They are called by the sound of chopping, the clatter of pots and pans, and the promise of slow cooking. Polo prompts, aren't you going to throw in a bay leaf? Joe quips, I don't like how it smells up the house, but if more people might come, toss in potatoes. Anna quietly suggests, float a sprig of cilantro on top. Silent Rosa hints to add cumin, though when she was alive, she didn't speak English. Her daughter, Rosita, agrees, admitting admitting that she hated to cook. Ida says encouragingly, a little more garlic makes it better. Before I pop the lid on to let it simmer, they all laugh to remember that raw onions made them cry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. I love that. (laughs) Right, I just made them cry. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I have been walking with my husband some mornings here in Vallejo at the Napa River Trail during this Mm -hmm. pandemic because we're cooped up in the house so much. So I'm going to read you a poem about that, and that will be my closing poem. Low Tide Trail River, Trail Morning. Low, low tide on the pond, mud islands and narrow water channels, wading water birds hunting, no jumping fish today. My eyes feast on the sights of the trail, hungry for new vistas after endless shelter in my house. Under a clump of shade, I search the broad river with binoculars for the swan family. That's them, 
The graceful group of seven, now all white, have the spring brown speckled babies turned white and big like the parents? Or is this some other group of swans? A gray, dusty-looking egret takes a breathtaking, swooping landing, like the ones I used to watch on Oakland's Lake Merritt, evoking memories of Susan, reminding me that I miss her, of watching the egrets together. The other egrets inhabiting this river are snowy white, white like the pelicans and swans. I lift and lower my mask when humans pass. The familiar natural landmarks go by faster this morning. The sun burns brightly as it rises. I sink with hot, tired pleasure, singing my song all the way to the white car waiting in the parking lot. Thank you. (laughs) I love it. That was beautiful. Um, Nina, yeah. I wanted to give your website so people can, you know, keep abreast of what you're doing and also, you know, make themselves familiar with your publications, your books, and oh, other wonderful! Things. Thank you, uh, Nina N I N A Serrano S E R R A N O dot com. Okay, super. And and when can they catch you on KPFA? And I'm on KPFA. Uh, different, many different times. One is um, the first Tuesday of the month with Jack Foley, and another is uh, the second Tuesday of the month at 2.30, a poetry program, and another is La Raza Chronicles, which is at 7 p.m., on the second and fourth Tuesday of the month. That's hard to keep track of, but you can find it on the kpfa.org website. Yeah, I love La Rasa Chronicles. It's yes. one of my favorite yes. shows. Oh, good. Well, this has been uh, very wonderful to be with you both. Yes. And well, hoping that you... everybody finds ways to participate in the elimination of Violence towards women and girls. Yes, mm-hmm. certainly, certainly. Wanda, is it okay if I mention the Afrofuturistic poetry program I'm doing on December 13th? Yes, of course, Kim. I was going to ask you to do that. So, <laughs> okay, announce so away. Can I say thank you, Nina? Have a wonderful walk. You, you yes. too. Yes. Thank you. Be well. Bye bye. You too. Peace blessings. Bye bye. Bye, Nina. Blessings. Bye. Bye. Um, well, the the program is um, uh, Sunday, December thirteenth, and it's the third part of the series that's been going on for several months. And on this program, we we're going to have um, poets. Devorah Major, the third poet laureate of San Francisco, Ishmael Reed, and uh, sci-fi poet Daryl Stover, um, a poet that you introduced me, Sajabu, that you introduced me to. uh, Sacramento, yes. (laughs) Yes, I'm so grateful that you introduced me to such a fabulous poet. And the great Jerry Ward, 
one of the major voices from the black arts movement and just just wonderful and Glenn Paris a wonderful um, poet and writer on Afrofuturism and it's going to be on Facebook Live you can find out all the information and even listen to it on my website Dr. Kim McMillan D-R-K-I-M-M-C-M-I-L-L-O-N Dot com, And I just thank you for having us on your show. It's been a real pleasure. I just love the work you do. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you, Kim. It was, of course, you know, you're my, you're my Gemini sister. Uh, and um, <laughs> you'd be my sister even if you weren't a Gemini, but that yeah. that seals it, as, you, as they say. Um, so, you know, every time you join us, it's always a pleasure. And I'm so happy that we were able to do the um uh for national poetry month you know having you know you know sort of co um co-hosting you know this series yes, of, that was of, so uh, much fun. of conversations with poets from around the country that was so lovely and um, I loved it. Yeah, that was fun but you know you're no stranger to the air and and I want to thank you again for your wonderful work Kim and look forward to December 13th um, for, you know, the the conclusion of the wonderful series on Afrofuturism. And, uh, yeah, and seeing what us you might be up to, you know, coming up in the, in the near future. And congratulations on all of the wonderful, um, you know, the book and, and oh, okay. contribution to the book that's, you know, like 2021 is going to be kicking off with a bang for you <laughs> as this one ends thank with you. a bang. And I want to also thank you for your bravery. Um, the words that you spoke are a reminder. At, at in on when you read your poetry and spoke your word um, on the upcoming um, elimination against violence against women poetry program we put on, you showed so much bravery and so much of the power of of a mother. And I want to thank you for those words. Thank you. And have a wonderful day. Just a wonderful day, Wanda. Take care. Oh, you, you too, Kim. Tell your mama said hi. Hi, <laughs> right, Bye. Bye. <laughs> bye bye. <laughs> So while we wait for our next guest to join us, um, we're really excited to have um, the co-founder of the uh, African Diaspora International Film Festival joining us shortly, um, uh, Ms. Uh, Diara Ndalbeck's speech. <laughs> um, she's going she's gonna to have to help me with her last name. But anyway, the... Uh, the film festival kicked off last week, um, Friday, November 27th. But no worries, it's virtual, so you can catch up. <laughs> if you, um, uh, it's divided into um, uh, into chapters or sort of. Um, and so, anyway, um, we're going to talk about the different uh, segments, and uh, and you will. They call them slates. And oh, here she is. Perfect timing. I'm stumbling through this. <laughs> Hi. Good morning. I was just calling your name and you heard me. 
<laughs> oh, yes. How are you doing? I'm yeah. good. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I was trying to like, like how do I do her last name? Endow. Yara Endow Spesh. Spesh. Yeah, I knew I messed yeah. up. Spesh. I was saying, this is speech. You have a spesh. Spesh. Okay, it's a soft S-H. Okay. That's so pretty. Yeah, and I was telling our audience, you know, that no worries. Okay, you missed the opening, but you might be able to catch that first slate still. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> um, it's, through, uh, it's through today at 11. It's through today, now. exactly, until tonight, uh, midnight uh, uh, Eastern time. So, yeah. Right. And the opening oh, night. Oh, it's uh, Eastern time. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't yeah, know yeah, that. Yeah. Ooh. yeah. <laughs> midnight Eastern time, so that's, uh, I guess, uh, what, 9 p.m.? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> so let me um, let me read your bio, and then you could tell us what we missed last week at the opening ceremonies okay. and screenings and up to now, because <laughs> you've got like such a wonderful, wonderful. Um, gosh, you've curated some wonderful, wonderful films. You know, both classic and new, and and just throughout the diaspora. You know, with um, you know talking about issues here in America and you know we we see um you know work by women directors some really wonderful films and then for those who who appreciate and and love African cinema some of them was like oh wow I just love this film oh I can see it again right <laughs> cuz yes. you've got some <clears throat> some favorites um you know uh, as a part of your uh, your 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 film festival so that's really awesome as well and then, and then we could talk about that wonderful film um, about you know this uh, East Finding African, yeah. yeah, you know, freedom fighter, and and just the way the director brings it into the present is right. just oh my goodness, it's a great it's a good film. film, right? It's really, 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 really good. Oh yes, uh, the stories that are told, you know, when <clears throat> you know when this. Uh, is it um great niece um mm-hmm. <laughs> um you know visits home you know um Ethiopia for the you know for the first time as an adult yeah. to learn yeah. about her history and learn about who she is and it's one thing about you know sort of the land right when when you have access to the land of your of your forefathers and foremothers it sort of does something around to your identity sort of you know sort of enhances the who you thought you were because you really are who you are if you can't necessarily touch the land because the land is where the stories also live and breathe, right? So, yeah, she just – who's the director? She just does such a great job with the Yeah, film. she she and the, the thing is she actually has family there, so the connection mm-hmm. is really direct because she has people who can host her. Uh, her name is Mar- Mariam Dawit, Tamara Mariam Dawit. And, in fact, we are going to talk with her on Saturday. We have a Zoom and so she will be on the line with us uh, to to, uh, to 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 discuss her process and and her personal experience. So that's going to be really fascinating. Oh, it is. It is. Are are the um, uh, the conversations with directors um, is that available after? Um, yes. Know, uh, if a person missed it, um, is it yes. available to watch? Online. It? Oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Oh, super, super. Okay, great. Um, <clears throat> Uh, well, uh, Diara is co-founder and co-director of the African Diaspora International Film Festival, 
A-D-I-F-F, an international film festival established in 1993 that presents, interprets, and educates about films that explore the human experience of people of color all over the world in order to inspire imaginations, disrupt stereotypes, and help transform attitudes that perpetuate injustice. She also co-founded in 1993 with her husband, Dr. Ronaldo Barroso Spech, uh, the film distribution company Art Matin Production. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Oh, goody. One for Wanda. <laughs> Which currently carries more than 120 films. Whoa, nice, nice. About from Africa, the Caribbean, Latin America, Europe, um, uh, Australasia, and North America. Films that all explore the human experience of people of color. Uh, Diara always looks for opportunities to increase access and visibility for films from Africa and its diaspora. In 2013, she was a presenter with uh, Ava DuVernay at the Art House Convergence on the panel Race and Diversity in the Art House. Oh, where was that? There was uh, at the Sundance, uh, Art House Conversions is a convention that takes place just before the Sundance Film Festival where you have exhibitors from the entire country who uh, run art houses, independent theaters. And we Mm. had this panel because uh, it's a very white world. Mm -hmm. Ah, And I could could expand more, but I'll I'll let you continue. Okay, yeah. That statement's a very white world, like. Well, yeah, definitely expound on that. <laughs> you know, you, okay, you want me to expand on that? I can do that. Okay, so basically, yeah, you know, yeah. when you talk about art house, you know, like when you talk about the cinema industry and you talk about cinema, you have the multiplexes that show Hollywood films, and then you have smaller independent theaters that tend to show what we call specialty films or international cinema. So these films, these theaters, they, and also classic films, so they, they have a, a more, like, older wider kind of audience, and they are in neighborhoods that are richer neighborhoods. So it's all tied together. And But, you know, if you are into films, if you are a cinephile and you like quality cinema and you want to go beyond the traditional Hollywood, Nollywood, uh, you know, the, the things that are available at a mass market, then you go to those movie theaters. And there you discover, like, different stories, you discover different worlds uh, similar to what we present in the film festival. But... Very few of those films are focused on people of color. Most of those films are made by and for European and white American audiences. So our challenge as distributors of international cinema that focuses on the black experience or the experience of people of color is to get the folks in in these movie theaters to pay attention to the work we do. They have this preconceived idea that what we do doesn't have any quality because it's black. Mm -hmm. And so you have to make them, and also they have this preconceived idea that their audiences are not going to respond, they're not going to show up because they have no interest in black experience because most mm-hmm. of their audience is white. So there's, there's like this mindset that you have to um, go against and you have to kind of try to, 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 you know, like make them aware of their biases. And that's a lot mm-hmm. of work. And with Black Lives Matter, actually, they, 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 I, I have seen, because I'm part of a group where we have conversations online, and I have seen some increasing their understanding of the fact that they are living in a privileged setting 
and where white supremacy rank, you know like is 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 just normal to them they don't even realize it and now finally with the black lives matter movement they're starting to understand that in fact they have always been biased and didn't know it which is kind mm-hmm. of crazy but that's the way it is right well that's that's the whole problem you know with um you know the institution of uh what is it um racial um uh, stratification, you don't have to notice it. You <laughs> know, if you're exactly. the one that and has all the powers, well, like, yeah. self examination, like, what does that mean? <laughs> exactly. Why? So, uh, you know, one mm-hmm. thing I did is I shared a link to uh, a video uh, by a, a professor who wrote a book, I don't know if you know about it, called White, White Fragility. I don't know if you've heard oh. about it. Yes, I have. <laughs> and 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 I shared it with them, you know. So it's kind of confrontational in a way, but at the some mm-hmm. people thanked me in private because they had, you know, that helped them see where they were at. Mhm. Yeah, yeah. Just the whole framing of 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 the pathology attached to whiteness, right? I mean, yeah. to to name it in terms like fragility. Oh, you know, you don't know what you're doing. Oh, right. you, you know, like you, you know, oh, poor, woe is me, kind of thing. You know, as as if you know, white supremacy needs um, you know uh, needs empathy. Like, no, we don't empathize with it at all. So to name something white fragility is kind of counteracts the whole notion of you know examine examine your privilege, examine you know sort of the the negative um, history that you have inherited. You know, right. around you know violence against I mean systemic. Right. And sustained violence against people of color, Absolutely. against black people specifically, people of African descent worldwide. You know, from enslavement to colonialism, right? The neo-colonialism. Absolutely, <laughs> like, absolutely. So, so you know, that's uh, so we had this discussion with Yvette Verney on the on the panel, and it was packed. We had like I think three hundred people who attended that conversation, and wow, and it was quite is, interesting. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot because I think uh, right now they have like a 600, you know, like to 1,000 attendants, and it's a three-day conference just before Sundance. And mm-hmm. so it was, a, it was a large audience, but um, I didn't see anything coming out of it. I, it, it says it was in 2013, right? That, that's when uh, mm-hmm. I had it. So I, I kept on going, but, you know, like people, you know, people just, you know, did not respond. And then we had a, a group of other younger people who came out and created an alliance for action where there was, you know, social justice and, and, and issues of uh, of, uh, of um, representation that were brought up in, you know, on a more forceful manner. And so little by little we've been trying to change, you know, make the, those folks who are in control aware of what they're doing because they're pretending they don't know. And some of them mm. don't know. You know, they are liberal. They are very, uh, they have good um, intentions, but they're just very ignorant. There was there was one guy over there who was telling me, you know, when you talk about race, race to white folks, it's like if you think about math, you know, you have algebra and then you have, uh, arithmetic, no, you have arithmetic first and then algebra and then you have calculus. We are at calculus because we talk about it all the time. We know. They are algebra. They have no idea. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So you have to be really patient. I don't even know if they're at, I don't even know, like, they might still be at arithmetic, right? Yeah, yeah. One plus one is two. Why are things where they are? Oh, one plus one is two. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Well, if there is a link to your talk, please send it to me. <clears throat> I'd love to um, to watch it and share with our audiences. sounds really um, like it was real provocative and, and necessary, and, and, and people still need to sort of think about probably, I'm sure, you know, these issues that were raised. Um, yeah. And you also, you've served um, as jury in many film festivals, including the 35th uh, Durban International Film Festival in South Africa in 2014, and FESPACO, the Pan-African Film and Television Festival, and Wadugu, Burkina Faso in 2009. And so you know my friend, Jean-Marie Tino. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and I look today, I mean not today, but this past week, I noticed that there's a book. He has a book. There's a book about him, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's it's so not available. <laughs> um, and I'm like, ah, oh, so I emailed his website because um, he's producing films too. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Is, that is so wonderful. Yeah. So uh, maybe um, if you have a way of getting in touch with him, maybe you could share that with me or share my information with his people because I emailed them and they haven't gotten back to me yet. Okay. And uh, and you were born in France, and you were educated in France and in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, well, so he lives in France. <laughs> um, and you hold a B.A. in economics from SUNY uh, Albany and an M.B.A. from Columbia University Business School. Oh, you are just the perfect woman to be heading up a wonderful organization like this. And, and from what I just read about your academic um, <laughs> academic uh, sort of grounding, this is why you're so successful too, you know, like economics and business administration. Like, whoa, you got it going well, it, on. You need, you, you need, you need to have that in order to be able to sustain this kind of operation. Because I'm telling you, uh, we are really going against uh, a whole system. You know, the the type of films that we promote are not easily accepted because we are talking about an international black experience, and that's really, really far out. Uh, even though we do have a, a lot of African-American films and directors that participate in our event, we also uh, do a lot of work like internationally, and that's not very popular. You know, in you know, that's mm-hmm. not the, the the people sometimes are concerned about throwing, you know just reading subtitles to watch the films. So you you need to have a lot of um, uh, persistence and, and and a lot of know-how in order to be able to sustain and maintain an operation that's so independent and that's so, you know, like uh, specific, you know, so niche. It's, uh, and, and that does not necessarily, is not, you know, widely popular and accepted, you know, uh, within the, the American society. That, that's challenging. But it's, but it's important. It's very important. That's why we do it, because we think we need to bring that kind of information out because nobody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And and what's really important I think is having, you know, black people in in, you know, as as the you know, we nice to have the majority, you know, seeing these films because you know, I I way long before I traveled, you know, to West Africa and to Africa, you know, southern and eastern and uh Africa as well. Haven't been to Central Africa yet. Um I, I went there through the cinema. I mean, you know, Usman exactly. Zimdan, you know, exactly. um, may his soul rest in peace. He would come to San Francisco for the San Francisco International Film Festival, and and he'd hang out. Like, he wouldn't just 
come in and leave. And he's the father of African cinema. And you know, like, I got a chance to, like, shake his hand and have conversations with him. I'm yeah. like, oh, my goodness, right? I mean, and then when I went to um, uh, to Dakar and I met his wife and I, I didn't get a chance to go to make my pay my respects and go visit, you know, his um, his grave site. But it was just like, oh, my goodness, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it's just. Wow, and, you know, so many others, you know, are no longer with us, you know, folks that sort of laid the foundation, you know, for, you know, this kind of media. And it's so important, the storytelling, because, you know, some of it, some of the stories that are being told, they're historic. I mean, the world has changed. (laughs) It's not that way anymore. And, you know, it's interesting because, for example, we have – African narratives in the festival that are really wide in terms of the ranges, and we we will have a conversation with filmmakers uh, f- uh, on Saturday in the afternoon, also a Zoom conversation, uh, mm-hmm. and the, I think it's I, I, it's on the website. But like we have a film called that's called Nafi's Father, which is a, mm-hmm. a, a, a film from Senegal that deals with uh, the taking over in a village of. Islam extremism, but it's done. It's told through a personal story of uh, two brothers who are in competition, and it's so. It, it what the filmmaker was training at NYU, but he he is uh, he is Senegalese, and what he was able to do with this film is really to show us today in contemporary Senegal with a young woman who is to be married and she has her iPhone and she listens to music. So, you know, like, it's really rooted into contemporary life, but at the same time it talks about the traditions that still exist today and the the pressure that uh, some folks face because of extreme uh, Islam taking over because they have money and guns. And all of the film talks about all that, but it's really it's like finding Sally. You know, these films are are bringing are, are really helping us understand what's going on in other parts of the world that we don't know much about. <clears throat> and it does it in an entertaining way. It does it in a in a short in, you know short, short time frame, but it really. Um, triggers curiosity, you know, and it helps you understand, like, when you see a Senegalese next door, like, selling, you know, in the street or whatever, you know a little more about why he may be there, because he may have fled uh, these extremists who are killing people for no, for no reason except wanting to have control. So, you know, it, it's very important to, to be exposed to have access to a little more information, um, and historical as well as contemporary. So that's I think that's why this festival is so is so interesting because you know if you manage to watch a number of films and it's very inexpensive by the way uh, and you and it's over 17 days so you have time to get involved you can really like discover so many stories so many realities so many alternative world views that you know that maybe you're close to it at home, like here in your neighborhood, but you don't know much about because we all live so separated from one another. We don't know much about each other. And that festival is a way to 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 break that barrier. And that's what that's what the reason why we wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I really, um, I couldn't hold it all in my mind, and, and I didn't take notes, so. <laughs> oh, shame on me. But... <laughs> I really, really uh, enjoyed, um, as I mentioned earlier, some of the um, the films about um, 
you know, iconic um, persons in our in our our African American and, and global African diaspora community, and you know, I'm thinking, and also some of our classic films, you know, like Kilombo, um, and and you opened with a film about, you know, a classic person um, in um, oh, African American culture, yeah, yeah, St. Louis Blues, and you know, yeah. looking at the life of W. C. Handy, and then you had featuring Nat King Cole, like Eartha yes. Kitt, Pearl Bailey. And Juan Hernandez, and these are all ancestors now. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> you know, like here they are, you know. Um, and uh, so anyway, I was wondering if maybe you could maybe talk a little bit about um, sort of you know the opening film, your closing film, and and then this wonderful um, uh, you you program for for schools. And yes. and I just think that's really awesome, you know, like get the kids watching these films early. You know, mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. develop that taste, you know, yes. and that appreciation in them as a, at a young age. So then right. they'll continue, you know. Right, absolutely. And, well, okay, so Opening Night Film was uh, sent to Wiz Blues, as you just mentioned, and it's, it was one of five films uh, that features Juan Hernandez. So Juan Hernandez is the first Afro-Latino actor to make it in Hollywood. And a lot of people don't even know he was Afro-Latino. He was born in, in Puerto Rico, and he grew up mm-hmm. in Brazil, and he was in, in the streets at some point. And then he managed to go into theater in the U.S., and then he, he finished his career in Hollywood. And so we have five films where he has important roles that you can look on the website. And we also invited a scholar, a journalist, who wrote a book about him to talk, and that talk mm-hmm. is also available on the website. So. Uh, today is the last day to watch those films, so you have to hurry up. Uh, <laughs> uh, then, then we have um, for the closing night we uh, have. Can, um, I, can I interrupt you for a second? Could you sure. tell us the name of the, uh, the scholar that wrote the book and what the name of the book is? Yeah, so it's uh, Molina uh, uh, Mueca, I think is her name, and the book is Juano Hernandez from Vagabond to Hollywood Star. Mm, And all of that is on the website. Okay. And the website, by the way, because I'm sure people are asking, it's NY for New York, (laughs) A-D-I-F-F.org. That stands for, that's the first letter for New York African Diaspora International Film Festival. So you take the first letter, that's the website, N-Y-A-D-I-F-F.org. Okay, and uh, so the closing night is uh, uh, is called uh, Lil Buck Real Swan, and it's a, a documentary about uh, Charles Riley Lil Buck, who is a, a great dancer. He he learned juking in Memphis when growing up, and then he also took ballet for a couple of years, and then he created a very innovative dance style that mixes. You know, like that does juking, but in a very elegant manner with some ballet moves in it. And he's the only one dancing that way. And he has actually been really recognized internationally. And he also now lives in Los Angeles and and, and uh, created um, spaces for young people to learn this type of dance because that's you know dance is a way to express yourself and also to get out of poverty. And um, and he also um, uh, wants to elevate the art of dance. He wants it to be much more respected than it is today. So it's a documentary about him uh, that will be the closing night. And it's part of a program called Art, Activism, and Resistance in the festival. And 
that program has 18 films that are all focused on artists or um, people who use art to resist and to bring social justice and social change. So we have films about like personality, artist activists like Miriam Makeba, for example, or Sonia Sanchez, or Lilo Burke. And then we also have documentaries about groups, organizations that use music dance or, or, or music to uplift young people and give them discipline, give them, you know, uh, a, a purpose and, and bring community. And so we have a panel discussion also on Sunday the 13th with um, members of different people representing different films to talk about that. So we, we always try to, typically in New York, when we do the festival, we have guests. So this year we had to transfer everything online. So, But it, in a way it's good because now we can turn to you and you, we can talk to you in San Francisco and you can participate while before it would have been really difficult for you guys to to be part of this. So it's, it's a blessing in disguise, uh, this change of format. Um, and then you asked me about the school program. So the school program, like you said, we, we understand that uh, it's very important for young people to be exposed to alternative images. So we have like two films that we've been showing in our school program for years now. One is called Souls of Black Girls. It's a very important uh, documentary. Uh, it it's, was done in 2008, but it's still extremely relevant, and it raises the question of whether or not women of color may be suffering from self-image disorder as a result of trying to, to, bring, to, to attain the standards of beauty that are uh, celebrated in media images. Um, so the fact that there's so much portrayal of images of women, especially black women, in the media that is uh, you know, very uh, provocative and very artistic, the girls who see those images think they have to emulate that type of behavior, and if they are not able to, then they might have self-image disorder, while in fact those images are very detrimental to, to their identity, to their self-esteem, to their reality. So that's what the film is about. And I've shown that film during the school program to like young children, like sixth grade, seventh children, and they, and they get it. Boys and girls they get it. They understand. There's a, there's a, um, uh, there are very important people in the film, and there's also a commentary about why are these images still out there? Why, when people understand that they are detrimental, why are they not corrected? And then we talk about the system of monetization, the system of marketing and capitalism, and the exploitation that is recurrent and that it's really hard to fight against. So it's a, it's a very interesting documentary, and, and they get it. And then the other one is called Filling the Gap, and that's uh, a, a telling through dramatization of the participation of African Americans in the fight for the Civil War uh, victory in, in American history. And so the film is set in the 1840s, just before and during the Civil War, and it shows how African Americans uh, used their skills as craftsmen, as artists, as inventors, as even spies to help uh, the Union win. And also it shows how they, some of them were um, military, some of them were non-combatant, but it really, uh, and it features people like uh, Frederick Douglass and, and uh, Surgeon of Truth 
and even mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln, and it's done in a way that's very accessible to young people. It's like small vignettes, and it's like a dramatization. So I think, you know, you could think of um, Hyatt, the film that came out in Hollywood not too long ago, as a kind of a reference of the kind of work that is done. And uh, and it's very, uh, it's very instructive. It's very accurate. It was done with uh, a historian, so it, there's no errors in terms of history in the representation, and it's a very good tool for teachers who want to teach the American, African-American history and American history. Uh, it's a, this film is a very good tool uh, to, to, to teach that history for teachers in the schools. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I am um, noticing that, you know, you have um, one of my favorite um, animations uh, is a uh, was it Kikuru and the and the sorceress? Yeah. <laughs> this that, one, you know, this really film classic. we discovered. We brought it to the U.S. We are the you distributors did? of that film. Yeah. Oh. And and don't yeah, like you know we've been in business for twenty uh, eight years, so we brought right. that film. Our company brought that film to the U.S. from from France. At the time, mm-hmm. they, you know, nobody in the U.S. wanted to touch the film because of the quote unquote nudity in the film. Which to me is so ridiculous, but it shows. No, no, no I don't remember it. <laughs> and exactly, I didn't even see it the first time I watched the film. But we've had issues with schools here where there was a principal who, because the kids would notice it and they would laugh, and then we had a, a, a principal who was the only white person in the room, uh, decided to to take all the kids away from the screening because she was concerned that the kids would talk to the parents and then the parents would call out the school for showing sexuality in the film. Mm-hmm. I mean, and but it, we've had very interesting experiences with, uh, with the festival and, and with the school program, but, but we think it's really important. The fact of the matter is, you know, the, the way the, the kids, the, the, the cartoons, the, the images are depicted in Kirikou is just reflective of the way people or in Africa in certain settings, you know, based on the cultural, on the climate, and on the the way people live. And so it's just a way to to say that not all human beings have the same cultural and ways, the same way of eating, the way, same way of, of, of dressing. And when you show to a child that reality and you make it something normal, then it becomes normal. Yeah, yeah. Well, wow, that's interesting because um, I I didn't see the film uh, first when you all brought it here. Um, I saw it in um, in a non you know African diaspora film festival. Um, I think I saw it. I don't know if it was Mill Valley or San Francisco. I don't I don't think it was Ave at a San Francisco Black Film Festival. But I, I know it's. I, I loved it. It was like, oh my God, this is so beautiful. How how do you pronounce uh, Michelle's last name? The uh, director. Oslo. Oslo. Yeah, really, really, really great. Um, and uh, and and seventy five films in thirty one countries. Like, wow. Do you want to like name the countries? Because it's really impressive. And then I was just wondering, how long does it take you to um, curate? You know your festivals. You've got 26 premieres, 16 special guests, and 17 days. That's a very. Are you like the longest film festival that highlights films from the African diaspora? 
Well, I you can't know, think of anything few, that rivals you. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's a, actually the Pan African Film Festival in Los Angeles started okay. one year before us. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, you know, I don't know the path uh, in Los Angeles by Ayuko Babu. Mm-hmm. So he he uh, he he started like a year before us. Uh, but besides <laughs> that, I think we are the only. Yeah, we are the la- longest running, you know, uh, film festival on the East Coast, definitely. Okay. And uh, mm-hmm. we, um, you know, uh, since we started, there's been a, a number of, you know, other black film festival that have started in the country. But we are definitely a lot of films. Actually, festivals were created by people who came to our festival and realized, oh, this is a great concept. Let me do it in my city. So. Uh-huh. It's uh, and in terms of the countries, uh, I would say we have, uh, of course, the U.S. We have uh, Canada. We have Colombia. We have a whole program of Afro-Colombian cinema, which ending is ending soon as well. And we had a panel about that. We have a program <laughs> this year that's starting soon uh, on First Nation, uh, and because yeah. we wanted to show the connection between the reality of. Uh, First Nation people and people of the African diaspora, we we all face colonization, we all face genocide, we all face uh, loss of our culture, loss of our language, and so we wanted to explore that further in the festival this year. And so in that program, we have films from the U.S., from Canada, from Mexico, from Ecuador, from New Zealand, and from Australia with the Maori and the uh, uh, the Maori people in um, in New Zealand, the, the First Nation people in that country. Then we have films from Curaçao in terms of the Caribbean, Curaçao, Haiti, Cuba, um, uh, Trinidad and Tobago, Barbados. Um, and then we have uh, films in Europe from, uh, let me see, we have the UK, we have the Netherlands, France, uh, and uh, maybe oh, and uh, Spain and Portugal, and then we have a whole bunch of films from Africa, including Guinea-Bissau, uh, Senegal, South Africa, Tunisia, Morocco, um, what else? Uh, Rwanda, uh, Nigeria, and um, I'm sure I'm missing some, but you know, you, you get you get an idea. Off the range. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, and then it's, it's what's really wonderful is that um, you know sometimes there are films, you know, that are about the African diaspora and people in the African diaspora, you know, that's including the United States, and and the films are not made by people of the African diaspora. Right. You know, we are subject, but not we are object. You know, um, but, but we are well, not you see, we, we, yeah. it's true, but we are very careful uh, in mm-hmm. terms of because at the end of the day, who is behind the camera to us is not so important. What's important is the worldview. So mm-hmm. if the person who is in front of the camera and the uh, the, the worldview expressed in front of the camera is that of is the focus is, is that of the person of African descent, then it, it's okay if the person behind the camera because they have been able to respect and provide and support their allies. They give us a voice, they give us, the, they give us their talent, their, their uh, resources. A lot of times we, 
people of African descent don't have the resources. I'm not saying we don't have the talent. I'm, we, I know we have the talent, but we don't have the resources. Sometimes we don't have access to training because we are marginalized, because we don't have access to the education, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and other folks have more access. The importance is whether or not they're willing to make that available to tell a story that's true to our reality. When they do that, we have no problem showing films that they make. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. So, right. so yeah. that, that's where that's where we're coming from with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Do you have um, any uh, directors who um, are returning with new work um, at, at this particular um, iteration of the festival? And and if so, um, you know, sort of who are they and what is the work? And then, do you have any new directors? Because um, I noticed that you have six, 26 premieres, which is you know significant. Yes. Well, we have one director who is coming back. Uh, we had his short uh, some time ago, and now he's bringing his first feature film that's called Pink Opaque. Uh, he's an African-American filmmaker, and uh, his film is, is actually a very nice uh, uh, drama about uh, this young filmmaker who is struggling to finish his uh, documentary thesis, and at the same time he's homeless. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's you know it's like it's his name is Derek Perry and we had shown his shorts and he submitted his film to us so that was that was nice um, that's somebody who is returning we have um, and then we have a lot of new films uh, that um, you know like a world premiere of a film that's called the National Peace and Justice Memorial the person who submitted oh, yeah. that. Yeah, the person who submitted that film to us is uh, is actually uh, someone who is based in New York and who comes to the festival all the time. And sh- when she made that piece, it's so short, uh, she she wanted us to have it first. And it's basically a, a visual celebration of the memorial, the Equal Justice uh, Initiative uh, in Montgomery that built this memorial that is uh, a stunning stunning and that honors the thousands of black Americans who were lynched by white supremacists. And this memorial has stones and it has, um, it, it really is beautifully made. It's, it's huge. And she takes us in, on a journey. There's no words. It's just visuals, images, and, and text. And, and it's, it's a really, really uh, striking thing. And it's, it's the world premiere. Nobody has seen that film before. And it's shown with mm-hmm. another premiere, U.S. premiere mm-hmm. called Strike for Freedom, and that's about Frederick Douglass when he was in Scotland, and that's a story yeah. that I know anything about. I didn't know he had been to Scotland. I mean, I know exactly. he was in Europe. Right. <laughs> yes, and, and, and he yeah. has marked Scotland because they actually have a, uh, they have a museum to his name. They have a plaque on the, mm. on the house where he lived, and he had a big impact on the on the anti-slavery movement in Scotland uh, when mm-hmm. he was there, and he also it's also thanks to the Scottish that he was able to get his freedom papers, who, who then enabled him to come back to the U.S. and 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 uh, and be legal legalized because he was a, a slave that had 
escaped and he didn't have papers. He was not legal in the U.S. And it's thanks to the Scottish that he got legalized. So it's an interesting, really interesting story that's part of history that we don't know much about that we were able to find in Scotland. Hmm. Wow. Wow, that is really amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, just a couple of more, um, and if you had anything you want to um you know, do a shout out to um before we talk about finding Sally. Um yeah. I wanted to ask you about um uh, you know, well one I just a comment, I really I really enjoy and appreciate the the focus on indigenous um, you know, uh stories. Um because because those are our stories too. Um you yeah. know, and, and we and we don't hear enough about, you know, the people and um the Aborigine people and the indigenous people of, of um of um New Zealand either. And yep. and so that's really, really wonderful that you have films and you're having that wonderful panel I think mm-hmm. this weekend, right? Yes. Or, uh, it's yeah, actually right. no, it's on Thursday. The next weekend. Th- no, oh, Thursday. It's on Thursday. You mean tomorrow? It's Thursday. <laughs> yeah, it's tomorrow. Oh my God. It's yeah. tomorrow <laughs> December thirty uh, okay. seven PM Eastern Standard Time, but it will be recorded yeah. for those folks who cannot participate. Yeah. Okay. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's crazy. Things are moving really quickly. Uh, let me give you a shout out to the last Mambo because it's from your area. It's a documentary that uh, uh, talks oh, about yes. Afro Latino music in the Bay mm-hmm. Area, and mm-hmm. and it tells how that music was a change for uh, social. You know, it was a social force to bring together a very multicultural network of performers and participants. And and then the, and the document talks about how the, there's cultural preservation and artistic expression and education through the the memo, the teaching of the memo that's uh, still happening today. How different artists were able to create like a very specific sound to the Bay Area. So it's like it's not the New York sound. It's a different kind of sound. It's not the New York music. It's a different kind of music, and it explores the history and the current practice of memo. In the Bay Area, it's very entertaining and very informative. Mm-hmm. And um, and who's the director? And um, so the when director does, when does it start? Hard, yeah, the director is Rita Hargrave. She's actually African American from that area. And what's mm-hmm. interesting is that she is in a competition. We have a competition. That's the only one we have in the festival for the best film oh. directed by a woman of color, and it's a public oh. competition. So people watch the film and then they can vote, and mm-hmm. there has films in the competition and that one is one of the films. Oh, nice, nice. And and which which slate is the last Mambo a part of? It's part of slate one. So you have until nine oh, PM. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I know, okay. right? You have a lot of oh, things to watch before the other Yeah, because you asked me about having um you know Rita on and I'm like, oh and yeah. <laughs> But you know what, you you can still have her on because I'm sure the film will be shown again. And, uh, yeah, and, (laughs) yeah, no, you can still have her on. I'm sure she'll enjoy talking about it. And, you know, we also have the best of the festival, which takes place Mm. in January. So who knows? The winner of the competition comes back. So if she wins, Mm -hmm. she'll be back. Okay, so we gotta we gotta hold it down for our sister in the bay, right? Yeah, so just go ahead and watch the film and 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 and, and vote. And vote. vote. Yes, you have yes. you have until 9 p.m. today to vote. <laughs> so I was wondering, um, uh, does the festival happen at this time of the the year, um, like 
the end of November um, through um, uh, mid mid December every year. Like, can people yes. like put this in their calendar for next year? Yes. Yes. Okay. And and then and then is there always the uh, the best of in the January? Yes. Uh, of the of the next. Okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. What what particular part of January does that happen? Uh, usually, it's like the um, Martin Luther King weekend. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. <laughs> All right. And um, and I just wanted to do a shout out to my friend um, uh, Edie Boone, whose film um, that she's um, uh, featured in, uh, A New Color. You know, the art of Edith Edith Boone uh, is also screening. And I don't know, is, is that a part of Slate One? <laughs> it's a part of the school program. So the school program. Okay. Yeah. okay. So you have to yeah, go and check. Really good film. Yeah. Mhm. Okay, cool. And and then lastly, um before um we talk about um about finding Sally, um the film um of the films about um the Afro Ecuadorians and um and and the uh and the film um I just like the title, The Writer from a Country Without Bookstores. Yes. Why don't you could tell us about those two? Okay, so the Esmeralda's Beach it's a documentary about today's Ecuador and the population, the black population, who, uh, they are descended of slaves, and how they continue to uh, experience a strong social discrimination. And so the documentary is, explores that region of Ecuador called the Esmeraldas, and the, docu- the, the filmmaker uh, speaks to people at different, you know, different kind of people, people who are farmers, people who are scholars, people who are um, just regular folks and, and to, about their experience and about the history. One thing that's important to know is that in 1999, uh, Ecuador had elected a prime minister. His name was Jaime Hurtado, who mm. was the first black to hold that office, and he was assassinated. Mm. And there's oh. also an, a, a scholar, his name is Juan Garcia, that talks about like in education, the fact that when you talk about black people in Ecuador, uh, in the school books, you see a couple of images, but there's really no representation, no history explanation of what the history of the black experience is in Ecuador. So he actually has an alternative school book for the same grade with all of the same topics, but incorporating black Ecuadorian reality within that book and he says he wrote he he wrote it like the work is amazing but of course the government is not using it so it's 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 a it's a very it's very interesting because it's it's very specific to Ecuador but at the same time it reflects the reality of the black experience in Latin America everywhere everywhere whether it's in Colombia or in Argentina or in Ecuador or in or anywhere else um in Peru, in Latin America, the black folks are marginalized, they are suppressed, they are oppressed, they are killed, and they have no voice. And sometimes they are not even considered nationals. So it's it's mm-hmm. really very bad situation. And we always in the festival have a large section of films that explore the Afro-Latino experience because we feel that it's something that people don't know. And when you see, uh, and we're talking about dark-skinned folk, we're not talking about mulattoes who pretend to be black here when really they are mm-hmm. not Latin America. In Latin America they are not black. 
So we are talking about the people who are dark-skinned, black, who are of direct African ancestry and who are being killed and marginalized in Latin America. And we have a number mm-hmm. of films about that. And then the writer, that's also a U.S. premiere. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, from a country. It's, it's actually a very interesting documentary because um, that country, <clears throat> which is um, uh, Guinea-Bissau, is the country mm-hmm. in Africa that has the longest dictatorship. And this guy is a poet and a writer, recognized uh, all over the world, who had to flee his country because he was being critical of the dicta- dictators. And, uh, and when the film starts, he decides to go back because he wants to visit his family. And so he's taking a huge risk. And, but the camera follows him, and we see life uh, in in his country, we see life with his family, and we basically learn about, you know, him, his work, and the country with the documentary. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice, nice. Okay, um, so let's talk about Finding Sally. That is such a beautiful film. So Finding Sally is a is a film. Uh, that is made by, uh, as I said before, Tamara, um, mm-hmm. who what, I think is the name. And it's basically a personal journey that she takes to go back to Ethiopia in order to reconnect with her family. And once she gets there, she discovers that she has an aunt that uh, she had never heard of before. And the reason why is because her aunt has disappeared. And it turns out that her aunt, who was really uh, from an aristocrat family, turned communist and went to fight in the revolution that that overthrew Haile Selassie, who was the emperor of Ethiopia up until the 70s. And um, so now the director starts investigating to understand what happened to her aunt. And at the same time, she goes back into history. So she takes us into her journey of discovering uh, what happened. And as a result, we are exposed to the history of the presence of, you know, Haile Selassie, how the family was relating to uh, the Haile the Selassie, and then how she got involved full of into the movement that fought against Haile uh, Selassie and then how there was terror and then uh, basically the political reality of the country viewed through the eyes of this uh, woman. And it's, it's, it's a very personal and intimate story on one hand, and at the same time, it's a history lesson. So she was able to combine those two elements in a really, really masterful manner, in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 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 it's you 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 are so captivated by the information, by the story, and and at the same time, you are touched emotionally because it's very it's a very hard to to realize that you lost someone from your family and you don't know what happened to them, you know, and trying to find out uh, is, is, is something that's, you know, important for anybody. You know, if you know you have a family member who disappears, you want to know what happened to them. Where are they? Are they dead? Are they alive? You know, that's so mm-hmm. that's so um, important. So she really, really did an amazing job with that film, I think. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, you know, her, her um, you know, her, 
I guess yeah, her grandfather and uh, her grandmother and her aunts. I mean, they were her her grandfather was was he an ambassador? I mean, he was like right yeah, there, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then, like you said, um, um, you know, her aunties, you know, talked about how there was this special phone that, um, you know, President Emperor um, Haile Selassie would call, um, you know, their their father on. And, and, you know, and so, you know, the principles that he, because they traveled, um, <laughs> uh, they moved, you know, from country to country because, you know, he was an ambassador. And he would tell them, you know, that, you know, you don't waste electricity. You know, this water is paid for by the people of Ethiopia. You know, they, they had a real sense of patriotism. Yes. And uh, and and a real strong values um, that no matter what the political situation, you know, like when when Haile Selassie was deposed mm-hmm. uh, and the military came in, you know, that his values were not shaken. I mean, he I mean, he's like wow, like off with his head, right? But he didn't lose his head. You know, right. the father he he lived, and yeah. and you know, we we hear stories of. You know, one of the aunties being taken because they were looking for, you know, Sally, who was with the resistance, you know, to the current government, and 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 she got out of there, but there was blood all in the room. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, um, yeah, it's just like so much suspense, and then you see, um, you know, the young people, you know, the youth are the ones that are sort of pushing, you know, this revolution and and resisting. And then you see how how the violence, you know, the continued violent terror sort of squashes it. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and you know, and just when her camera, like the scene, like after she says that, and then you see young people walking, and she talks about how, you know, for, I don't know, like a couple of decades, there was not, not a peep heard, right? Because yeah. people remembered um, yeah. in their bodies, if not in their memory, active memories, the terror of the mm-hmm. government squashing that, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, yeah, it's just like, whoa! Didn't know this history, right? You know, one thing that's important also, I think, in the film is that, uh, you know, as we discussed earlier, uh, there's currently uh, there's currently something going on in Ethiopia, Ethiopia yes. today, uh, and mm-hmm. and and there, are, you know, I was listening to this uh, Sudanese scholar. Uh, his name is El Sadig El Shay, and he was saying that the reason for the conflict is international, it's regional, regional, and it's also national. So there are many forces that are at the uh, that can explain that conflict. But one of the things he said that to me was interesting was that part of the the, the reason for the current conflict is because Ethiopia politics is tied to ethnicity and you see that very well in the film you know mm-hmm. which ethnic group is you know in control which ethnic group is uh, fighting and then takes over and then loses etc and he was saying that for uh, it, it is the responsibility of the modern Ethiopian elite to confront the challenge of modern nation building beyond ethnicity if they want this situation to stop in terms of the conflict. Uh, So the idea of Ethiopia as a nation rather than Ethiopia as a group of ethnic groups. And when you look at watching Sally, you you understand a little more about this 
historical factor and behind the unrest today because it does give you this background in terms of the fight between the different ethnic groups. So it, I, I think it's valuable if you have any interest in current African um, you know, affairs. You know, watching that film is also another way of being, of understanding, having a little more understanding of of what's going on. Yeah, but I I think even if um, a person is not necessarily drawn to the politics of 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 the the story, I think the story of these these sisters, um, you know, these women and their mother, and and the secret. You know, like Sally didn't disappear. I mean, everybody seemed to have had a picture of her, you know, on the wall. Yeah. Um, and 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 there was a comrade of hers who was interviewed that knew when she died, right? Um, yeah. And so, like that story was available, but nobody knew the story. No one was able to. No one. There was no closure. Right. Um. You know that beautiful scene. You know, with the woman who um who's serving who's who's serving coffee to them, you know, um, you know, when they're all, the sisters are there mm-hmm. and they're looking mm-hmm. for, you know, like the woman said, you know, they, they, she was telling um, maybe her granddaughter, her child, yeah, they, they haven't had any closure around, <laughs> around yeah. their sister's death, you know, her passing and, and that's why they're here. And she right. was really, really wonderful, you know, sort of sharing her memories of, mm-hmm. of their sister. Mm-hmm. And and then the filmmaker, you know, to be able to memorialize, you know, Sally and her husband and all of the other youth who were true patriots, who loved their country and and their and the people and wanted, you know, because it sort of starts with that story of the famine, right? Um, yeah. All the people starving, and right. and I wasn't quite clear on why they were hungry, why they were starving, but everybody knows that image because it was globalized, you know, yeah. it was. The film was sent out across the you know the world and yeah. um and it was sort of the undoing of of the uh of that particular um uh i don't know if you would call it a monarchy um but yeah, you know, it was a monarchy. The, oh yeah, it was he, a monarchy. he was an emperor yeah. Mm-hmm. right yeah yeah for life it seems mm-hmm. to be yeah yeah and um yeah but just sort of hearing you know like seeing you know the sister who was a banker. <laughs> and then and then she owned a what is the television station or or news um, outlet and it's just like no I'm just gonna speak my truth and if you just have to know how to say it so that you can live for the next day right I was right. like look at her <laughs> yeah right I know it's like a, it's a very it's a very like as I said it's very intimate so you really get to see uh, you know strong characters you know where like women mm-hmm. who have uh, who have a sense of purpose and who are well educated they are part of the elites you know in in mm-hmm. in speak multiple languages i mean they are well traveled and they are their parents were diplomats so so it's and yeah and they were able to survive in that in that uh, which you know a lot of people fled a lot of people could not stay and they were able to stay there so it's a uh, it's interesting it's it's a really interesting story and i'm and i'm i'm looking forward to talking with the filmmaker on Saturday. Yeah, that's gonna be, that's gonna be excellent. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. you know she she didn't grow up there, so she didn't she didn't know um, her father's um, you know culture. I mean, you know, like she you know like she eventually came to know it, and then she moved back home. 
So, um, yeah, yeah. And and neither did, you know, her aunts, you know, because they went to school in Canada. Um, you know, when they went back home, they had to sort of reacquaint themselves, you know, mm-hmm. with um, with their culture and their contemporaries. And, uh, and you know, and Sally just sort of really threw herself into it. Um, mm-hmm. As she does, she was, like, really immersive in her commitments. And uh, and it seems like the filmmaker is really, is, is kind of, um, she seems to have take after, take after that spirit of her auntie, uh, really immersive, you know, in the yeah. way that, you know, um, you know, she ends up staying when she hadn't planned necessarily to stay, you know, when she ends up getting married, when, you know, you know, like, I don't know when she left, like, oh, I'm going to find my, you know, the person who is going to be my partner and da-da-da. <laughs> and, yeah, so it's... um. It's it's a really I really thank you so much for recommending it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I yeah, really enjoyed. I'm looking forward to hearing, um, you know, sort of your com. Are you going to be uh, interviewing uh, or having the conversation with the director? Uh, I would. Part, Are you I hosting would be part of it? Yeah, I will be part of it definitely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be really nice. Really nice. So why don't you give the website one more time so people can make sure that they go and. And get tickets for today so they it's can catch NY, these films. <laughs> NYADIFF.org, New York African Diaspora International Film Festival.org. Okay, cool, cool, super. Um, is there anything else you want to uh, share with our audience? Um, uh, and no, definitely we're going to have I, you I on again. But <laughs> yeah, I appreciate so much the, uh, the, the 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 time you you've given me to to share the festival with your audience. I just hope they they show up, that they actually sign up and and look at the film. Again, it's extremely inexpensive, and and uh, we have a lot to offer. So thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about the festival. Oh, you're quite welcome. Oh, and and since you said it was it was um, reasonable, why don't you tell our audience sort of like the range? Um, actually, because it's, it's, it is. <laughs> for for one show to you know we have all, the all access pass is one hundred dollars so and you can see the seventy five films so that's from two to one hundred yeah that is that is quite the range <laughs> yeah two to one hundred and and if any schools are interested in um is, do you have to be in New York um for the for the uh, the, the, the film festival for the, yeah, mm-hmm. this program is for New York. However, uh, you know, um, if if your school is interested, they can always email us, and we'll see if we can do something. If, if, okay, if yeah, because I was thinking about some of our um, our independent uh, black schools that uh, I'm gonna send an email to um, to one that we have here in in Oakland, um, um, Ily Omade. That um, and, you know, and everybody's online now. That that might be kind of nice for those for that particular um, community. Okay. They've been around for a while. Sounds good. Okay. Cool. Super, super. Thank you so much well, thank for you. your the opportunity. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, super. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, 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 Diara. Yeah. Um, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. So we are going to close the show with um, this wonderful rebroadcast of the um, Poets Unite, um, uh, sort of um, commemorating and honoring the UN uh, International Day Against Violence Against Women. And again, the um, uh, the campaign is started on the on November 25th, 
and it continues through December 10th, 16 days of of activism and awareness. And you can go to the website um, for the um, uh, the UN uh, International Day Against Violence Against Women, the campaign, you can find out. So what you can do, there's a whole package you can download um, to be able to sort of um, support uh, and uh, and 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 inform support support the uh, the efforts as well as um, uh, maybe even do something on your own to um, to I guess to let your community know how they intervene and and stop this violence against women and girls. There's just too much, and particularly with um, the sheltering um, in place, um, people are trapped, um, and and resources have gotten a little more slim. So there's not a lot of support um, for women and girls who are in situations where their their safety is is at risk. So this particular, um, we're, I don't know if we're going to be able to play at all, but um, this program that was um, that Kim McMillan uh, curated and hosted last Wednesday. Um, in Zoom was really, really awesome, and you're going to hear some wonderful voices and some provocative and moving um, recitations. So enjoy. Peace and blessings, everyone. And yesterday, I just want to acknowledge yesterday was World AIDS Day, and AIDS and HIV um, is still killing black people um, globally, and um, and COVID-19 just sort of complicates things a bit further for people that are already uh, HIV and AIDS uh, immune system compromised. So, um, yeah, practice safer sex and uh, and get tested and um, and stay safe. And you could go to the World Health Organization website to find out other things that you could do around HIV, AIDS awareness and education and prevention. My name is Kim McMillan, and I want to welcome you today. Today is a very, very important day. Um, what we are is poets uniting to really address the theme of the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women, and that is today, November 25th. As countries implemented lockdown measures to stop the spread of coronavirus, violence against women, especially domestic violence, has intensified. The UN Secretary General's Unite to End Violence Against Women campaign, a multi-year effort aimed at preventing and eliminating violence against women and girls, will focus on amplifying the call for global action to bridge funding gaps, ensure essential services, for the survivors of violence during the COVID-19 crisis, focus on prevention and collection of data that can improve life-saving services for women and girls. This year's theme for the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women is Orange the World, Fun, Respond, Prevent, Collect. Like in previous years, this year's International Day will mark the launch of 16 days of activism that will conclude on December 10, 2021, 
2020, which is International Human Rights Day. We've gathered 14 wonderful poets to speak on issues of violence against women and the kind of world we want to see, a world where there is no violence against women and against men, a world that is is a world that is love. And yes, we, we're, we may not make it there quite yet because we're realistic, but at least we can address this and hope for a better world with our actions show that that is possible. Our first poet in the lineup is Kim Shuck. Kim Shuck is just a marvelous, marvelous poet, writer, activist, and she's also the current and the seventh poet laureate of San Francisco. In 2019, Shuck was awarded an inaugural National Laureate Fellowship from the Academy of American Poets and a Penn Oakland Censorship Award. Without further ado, we're going to have Kim read. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Um, I'm going to read a couple of poems from my book, Murdered Missing that are about the uh, violence against indigenous women specifically, but we know that these are problems for all communities. This project was 50 days in a row of writing a poem a day. So day one, somewhere, she's afraid right now. It hurts to be strangled. The body panics. She's silent, might die of stroke, pulmonary edema, the arteries may tear, her head feels as if it might explode, and this can take up to five minutes. Day two, blamed for her own death, let out in a motel bathtub. In court, the defendant's attorney made her as inhuman as possible, brought body parts to court. Her lifestyle, her identity at fault, as if murder were a logical conclusion, as if her attacker had no choice, as if we were provocation in skin, another acceptable sacrifice. Day three, shock, dead named, misgendered. Even the way they looked for you was a violence. Each detail a complex inaccuracy targeted as acceptable law. You are loved in your own name now. We see you. Day four, communities mended over and over. Light story touches the ones literally missing. Patched gatherings, families stiff with protective stitching. Our loss, they're not lost just once, but every waking morning, every song without their voices, each time, every time, for all time, and day five. You are our leading cause of death, vanished. I can feel myself going transparent. The car her daughter was last seen in was found in a lake, her child's dead body inside. She has jurisdiction, local police, reservation police, FBI. We don't know if there was a crime. We don't know if there was a white person involved. In this city, when she didn't come home, I called the police, and it was three days before they came to the house. 
that disappearance was a choice. Shouldn't be hitchhiking. To afford a car, we need to work. No work in town. No public transit. Last scene, standing by Highway 16 in the rain. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your courage to read that poem. Thank you very much. Our next poet is John Curl. John is the author of two novels, a memoir, history, poetry, and translation of ancient Maya Aztec poets. He practiced custom woodworking at Hardwood Cooperative Workshop in Berkeley, California for over 40 years. He was also a founding member of the committee organizing the annual Berkeley Indigenous People Day Powwow. Hi, John. We're looking forward to your reading. Thank you very much for inviting me, Kim. Thank you. Ballad of Mom and Dad. How could you do it? Don't you love me? The toilet brush is earthquake blue, rolling its sorrowful eyes on the payday line. I always save frozen orange juice containers to pour off chicken fat into. The cleanser smoked our coffee break while the bathtub ring is singing melon rhymes. I was said seven goddamn minutes late. They got no right to dock me a half hour. The speed up is crackling. The gas bill is vicious. Ooh, there are little round shiny bugs in the flower. For crying out loud, can't you even wash the dishes? The TV weatherman is doing a strip tease. The yellow cat snores in a puddle of burning machine grease. The poor, the foreman whirls down the drain, but a dream drowns his screams. Mom is praying to dear God, make it stop, please. Dad and mom lie back to a back, each hoping the other is asleep. Mommy was a chore slave till it broke her spirit. Daddy was a wage slave till it broke his back. Mommy got shrunk in the broom closet. Daddy got stretched on the boss's rack. Dad's working night shift and is hardly ever home. Mom keeps whispering she only wants to be alone. Dad's beside the TV, snoring and groaning. Mom's beside herself and won't answer the phone. Dad's got a heart attack and flowers on his stone. Mom's got cancer and you can see all her bones. Remember that evening in the park when you first touched each other's cheek? Remember how you slipped and skinned your heart? Remember when she didn't return your call for what felt like almost a week? Remember his first fumbling your bra? Remember how your energy fields shimmered almost the same and drenched your thankful mind in a hot glowing rain? Remember how the grind began to drive you apart? How you were resigned to servitude three years at most, well, maybe five or 10. How you panicked when you saw the gate swing closed and the prophets of gloom 
turned out to be the wise? Remember how the lackeys in their cot silk hats drove smartly past your pen while their children sobbed and mocked at you for having drunk their father's lies? Daddy, I know you only did what you thought you had to do. Mama, where'd you find the strength to pull us through? Daddy, don't try to stop me. I know what I got to do. They ain't going to checkmate me like they trumped all over you. All pawns are wild now, and so are the knights of hearts. Mama, we got to light candles from the stars. Thanks for reminding me. Before my core ever melted for the very first time, before I ever fully lost my stillborn heart in this sandstone desert heat, I worried if I was capable of whatever I imagined love to be. She comes only in her only good time. She only comes at her good time, or she doesn't come at all. Two planets spinning in orbit around each other, intimate others. I had heard so much about what intimacy is and isn't. Then I devoured love, swallowed it in such huge gulps that only left me drowning in limestone caverns and thirsting at the same time. She sighed into her pillow. Do we have to? No, I replied, we don't, we don't have to. And at that instant, for the first time in my life, I gave up on sex. For the longest time after that, I had no interest in love. There was no one I wanted to join my body with. I didn't want to get involved. Ever since I'd come of age, I'd either been with a partner or been looking for one. Without a partner, I felt ungrounded, without a center. Now, some tectonic plate had shifted inside, and I wanted only to be alone. I wasn't looking for a partner. I didn't want to be in a couple. For the first time in my adult life, I was happy to be alone, single. I no longer felt the need for an intimate other. Am I still capable of feeling, of touching someone, or letting someone touch me? Or am I so remote now that no one dares come near? Then you reminded me. Long before we were women and men, long before we were gay and straight and everything else, long before we were human, Aristophanes said, according to Plato, the deity created us double-gendered, all-inclusive, self-sufficient, bisexed, but we were also arrogant. And in punishment for our presumption, the deity split us in half, cut us each into two, creating the sexes, the genders. And ever since, We've been lonely, longing, searching for our other half, thirsting 
for the intimacy of rejoining with our other self and becoming whole again. The last time I felt this way was in a different lifetime. Just touching someone like this, so casually intimate, I've forgotten how it feels to merge, submerge into some shared space, some place that is neither you nor me, but both of us, familiar, comfortable, in a special way, cozy, yet vast as the universe. Thanks for reminding me. And thank you. Thank you, John, uh, particularly for being so vulnerable to read something of that nature. Thank you. Our next poet is Nina Serrano. I've known Nina for years. She is a poet of such magnitude. She is well-known, internationally prize-winning, inspirational author and poet with a focus on Latino history and culture. She is also a playwright, filmmaker, KPFA talk show host, a former Alameda County Arts Commissioner, and the co-founder of the San Francisco Mission Cultural Center for Latino Arts. Nina, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Can you hear me? I can hear you beautifully. I enjoyed hearing Kim and John's poems, and thank you, Kim, for putting this together. It's very exciting to be with everybody today. I'd like to dedicate my poems today to my late friend and compañera, Mama Coa, Sylvia Pada, who first introduced me to this important UN-mandated date, November 25th, for the elimination of violence towards women. It was 2008 in San Francisco. Mama Coa was a poet, musician, and healer, an undocumented Mexican immigrant and single mother who called herself the border crossing goddess. As a relentless activist in Mexico, she was used to participating in communal, artistic, and spiritual ceremonial events for this day. Surprised that there were none in San Francisco, she went to the 16th and Mission BART station with a few other women and offered prayers and clean cleansings when we met in 2008 after a poetry reading, she suggested we organize a November 25th cultural event. We did this for eight years until Mama Coat's untimely death at age 50 from cancer in 2015. As one of our last wonderful events, we were helped by Kim McMillan to hold the event on the steps of City Hall at noon poets, musicians, Aztec dancers, organizational representatives, and even two city supervisors participated. At the end, we stepped down from the city hall steps, formed a large circle on the grass. Mama Coat blessed each person with a copal smudge, and we all vowed to work to end violence towards women. That year, she was invited by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to City Hall. 
she was afraid to go because of her undocumented status. But instead of being jailed, she was honored because of her work on behalf of women and the end of violence with a civic proclamation. That was Mama Kawak. And this is my poem called The Story of Two Ninas. Two Nina, two Ninas, a generation apart. The younger one said to the older, I read in your biography that as a child, you traveled in New York City on subways and buses alone. The older, in response, told the younger how between the ages of 10 and 12, she had seen so many penises because sometimes men on trains exposed themselves, penis after penis. The younger said, me too. I traveled on subways and buses at those ages and taking advantage of crowded conditions, men would rub against me. Neither, neither of the Ninas had ever discussed this aloud. They had simply found clever, youthful ways to escape their pursuers, assuming it was part of the price of freedom to travel. It took thousands of Me Too's decades later to mention it because sexual harassment had been so commonplace, so unspeakably unmentionable, that even now, decades later, when the two accused molesters sit on the Supreme Court to pass judgment, determining what civil society allows, the two Ninas broke their silence. Their misadventures spilled out, trapped for decades as the shared Me Too Stories movement begins an unstoppable avalanche to smash the patriarchy. In closing, the poem, Leilani. Yesterday, the smoky air cleared. I visited my new great-grandchild, seventh great-grandchild for the first time, wearing a mask gathering safely in the lush garden of bright peaches, figs, squashes, pumpkins, and tomatoes, as marnics and hummingbirds flitted among the flowers. Seated, I held her, mellow and beautiful being, in my arms, and said her name, Leilani, aloud. Sweet Leilani, heavenly flower, I sang to her but could not catch her infant smell through the mask. Peering into her face, searching for resemblances, I saw different elusive family members race by in her random expressions. She fit so snugly against my body, as if she'd always been there. Though only 18 days old, she always had. When her mother spoke, she turned towards her, soon was nursing contentedly in her tender embrace, falling peacefully asleep. I left with a bag of sweet, ripe peaches, my heart full, and the word resilient on my mind. Resilient. Thank you.
Thanks so much. It seems we've lost our host for a moment. So we're going to, uh, I will take the host for a moment, but not for too long. Up next, we have uh, Jenny Lim. I don't have your bio in front of me, Jenny, but I know you're amazing because you're here tonight. So uh, welcome. Okay. Thank you all. I haven't seen you poets. I've known you for like 20 years or so. So this is really a sweet reading for me to see everybody here. Very touching. Thank you, Kim, so much for organizing this. This one is for Brianna Taylor, Word on the Street. Why did they have to shoot you so many times? At Bunker Hill, the soldiers said, don't shoot till you see the whites of their eyes. Word on the street has cops say, don't shoot till you see the black of their skin. Well, the SWAT don't give a squat. It's over before it starts. Over 30 bullets, Bullets rip through the walls, halls, and blinds, shatter windows, closets, dishes, pots, and pans. Damn, they fire rounds like Looney Tunes or kids shooting apparitions with toy AKs and M16s. But this is real, man. This ain't no video game. And the victims, Fred Hampton, Tamir Rice, Rayshard Brooks, Luis Gongora, so many others, we're not target practice for your cruel sport, strafing angels in their sleep as we dream in suffocating proximity, shredding earth into dust with arsenals meant for, quote, ragheads in Iraq and Afghanistan to shatter our glass house of hallucinations, to smash the already paper-thin crust of our hollow American pie. The wheel of fortune dropouts cry. It's a rigged game. How did you come to be defined by death but not by life? Did you have a moment of clarity, out-of-body lucidity? Or did time collapse into that shapeless black communion of indeterminate space where the miracle of pink flesh born of mother love, that first refuge of love and longing preceding definition, usher you into the realm of sugary, painless non-existence as the boogeyman came to pluck your last breath like an apple from the tree of life with its knocking branches of love, marriage, children, family, career, and home to cut you down when you entered death's revolving door by firing squad? Were you astonished by the scope of man's bloodlust? Did you cross the river sticks with the oar of forgiveness? a feather in the noose of the wind dragged by despair. When riots and rage unleashed in the streets of America, the empty shells, fingerprints, and DNA announced the crime, yet a grand jury called it self-defense. Code word for impunity. You were caught in the blazing crossfire, guns drawn on all sides, like a butterfly pinned to shadow the world is shackled to the flesh of strip search, checkpointed, background checked, interrogated, handcuffed, raped, beaten, and murdered, black and brown bodies on totems of bereft faces ornamenting the night like stars. We will scream. We will shout. 
we will cry out your name with our hearts carved into the trunks of trees on sidewalk, concrete, graffiti, bridges, buses on billboards, murals, songs, and poems tattooed on our lips and tongues till the offenders of hatred, indifference, and violence are known and a warrant for history's arrest is issued on 400 years of uninterrupted genocide. Word on the street, we shall erect a monument of our memories with the stories and mortar of civilizations disappeared, and we shall say the names of the disappeared over and over as we rise up to say your name over and over. Brianna Taylor, Brianna Taylor, Brianna Taylor. Thank you. Brianna Taylor. This one I'm going to close with is dedicated to Yuri Kochiyama. She was a good friend. She was actually a good friend of Malcolm X and was the one who rushed to him when he was shot down and held his head. It's on a video clip, and she's uh, an amazing inspiration to me and other Asian-American activists, a true civil rights activist from um, decades ago. This is Yuri's dream. All the world's a dream, awakening the mind, a pyrrhic dance in the appearance of time. Dare she to dream the world a circle, a basket woven of differences visible and whole. Emoja, bango, manano, creatures of the earth in every color, race, and creed, shining like cut diamonds, reflecting a thousand galaxies of worlds within worlds, beings upon beings, slipping on air with the language of communality. Dare she march with the black saints under the cold gaze of hell, sparking dreams in history's shadow with the passage of seasons, revolutions, and battles, pushing the hours, the days through Sisyphus's noose to touch the burning stars. Tong not, kesoku, spiritus, pangyao, each day becomes harder to grasp the bow's arrow with a grand view of a unified map from which her vision sprung in perfect alignment with a reverence for beauty and life and the souls of a lost species, Ibunye, Vienotiba, Agape, Yuri's dream. Thank you. Thank you. I, I, and I want to say, I, I apologize, my computer went down for a sec, but Yuri Kojiyama was one of the most beautiful souls that I've ever met, had the honor of knowing. And for you to recognize her means a lot. And I want to say, everyone, the people that are being recognized, it just it, it opens my heart. I am so grateful to you all. And I want to say a couple of words about Jenny. Jenny is a native San Francisco poet a playwright and a performer. Her award-winning play, Paper Angels, a prison drama, 
about Chinese immigrants held on Angel Island was the first Asian-American play featured on PBS American Playhouse in 1985. Jenny is a stand-up, beautiful human being who has done so much for civil rights and social justice. Um, she's also a noted jazz poet whose collaborations have included the late Max Roach, bassist Herbie Lewis, Zhang Zhang, Francis Wong, and Anthony Brown. Thank you so much, and please forgive me and my computer. Um, <laughs> our next um, poet is the wonderful Ziggy Lowenberg. Ziggy is, Ziggy is just amazing. She's a performance poet and a co-leader of the jazz poetry ensemble Upsurge, which, was produced, which has produced two CDs, All Hands on Deck and Chromatology. She is a member of the National Writers Union and Radical Poet Collective po and Radical po Poets Collective. Her poetry is published in Rabbit and Rose, Writers Resist, Snapdragon, Descendant Voice and Occupy Wall Street Poetry Anthology. Please give, just, I'm just so thrilled to have Ziggy here. Thank you for being, doing this, Ziggy. Thank you. Oh, it's my honor to be here with everybody. Thank you. Much bitter with the sweet. It really is too much, this world now, maybe always. Cycles of pause where you snatch breath and notice beauty separate from excruciating horror. The maror, delicious liberation, follows bitter herb, stories told every spring. The enslaved resist, clamor for justice, escape Mitzrayim, that narrow place, bitter with the sweet. You cower from muchness now, its unrelenting demand, how deep and thick the morass, roots impacted, pray to stay alive this one more night through sirens, helicopters, rubber bullets, tear gas, the world's over. This is the lethal familiar. As if an occupied curfew can soothe with its coarse burlap uniform of war. The artists carry you through, lifted in their arms like a baby in a basket saved from Swift River. Tossed softly, your adolescent angst, nourished to buoyant. Milk rinse your eyes, gather honey, and drop to any patch of earth. Brush your skin on the surface of buds, verdant roots, dew of renewal. Okay, move along, fold your soapbox, mic in hand, mostly never a gun, but a hammer, a wallet, a phone, a bell, a song rung with sweat. While imagine... Imagine all the people plays your internal boom box. This next piece is not my own, but I thought it was important. Um, 
It was written in the summer of 2014 when Israel once again invaded Gaza. And as a Jew, I feel like it's important to recognize that my cousins, my sister cousins in occupied Palestine and um, in Gaza particularly, this poem was written by Lina Kalaf Tufaha. And wherever there is war and militarism, there is always violence against women and children. It's called Running Orders. They call us now before they drop the bombs. The phone rings and someone who knows my name calls and says in perfect Arabic, this is David. And in my stupor of sonic booms and glass shattering symphonies still smashing around in my head, I think do I know any Davids in Gaza? They call us now to say, run. You have 58 seconds from the end of this message. Your house is next. They think of it as some kind of wartime courtesy. It doesn't matter that there is nowhere to run to. It means nothing that the borders are closed and your papers are worthless and mark you only for a life sentence in this prison by the sea. And the alleyways are narrow and there are more human lives packed one against the other more than any other place on earth. Just run. We aren't trying to kill you. It doesn't matter that you can't call us back to tell us. The people we claim to want aren't in your house. That there's no one here except you and your children. Who were cheering for Argentina, sharing the last loaf of bread for this week, counting candles left in case the power goes out. It doesn't matter that you have children. You live in the wrong place, and now is your chance to run to nowhere. It doesn't matter that 58 seconds isn't long enough to find your wedding album or your son's favorite blanket or your daughter's most almost completed college application or your shoes. Or to gather everyone in the house, it doesn't matter what you had planned it doesn't matter who you are. Prove that you are human. Prove you stand on two legs. Run! Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next, uh, and before, I want to also say, Ziggy, the work you're doing through poetry with regard to human rights is beautiful. Thank you for that. Our next poet is New York poet Raymond Nat Turner. He's the artistic director of the stalwart jazz poetry ensemble Upsurge. He has appeared at numerous festivals and venues, including the Monterey Jazz Festival and Panafest in Ghana, West Africa. He is currently poet in residence at Black Agenda Report. Hi, Raymond. Hi, I'm Kim. so glad and you're here. I'm glad, too, and su such an honor to be among such incredible uh, poetry uh, practitioners. 
Anyway, this is called Seven-Year-Olds Dying in Third Reich Detention. Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? Wide-eyed incantation of a child, three feet plus 60 pounds. Exodus leaving the lowland six days before birthday seven. Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? Beaming birthday celebrant on the bus, munching an uncrushed pink frosted cookie from Poppy's beat-up backpack. Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? Her small, soft hands celebrating heroics of an unshaven face chasing dreams. Dreams of pine tree scents and small gifts, compliments of magic of his hands. Dreams of the doll her mother promised before dying suddenly. Dreams of asylum from violence, fleeing extractive capitalism's suction tube tentacles. Poppy also had dreams of Jaybird as he called her, teaching school and university with compassion and skill. She instructed stick dolls he crafted from fallen branches. Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? Springing up and down on her invisible trampoline. Poppy's promises of a Christmas tree and celebration in California in America racing through her amazed and amazing mind. Poppy was proud. His back burned and ached. He clenched his teeth when she dozed off to sleep. His stomach growled, rattling sunken sides. He went without eating so her belly would be full. He took tiny swigs of water so she'd have enough. Football fans love players that play through pain. Basketball fans love players that create their own shots. Does chasing dreams thousands of miles through government gang-infested swamps, bad back, seven-year-old in tow, show up in your thicket of statistics and fantasy? Poppy, are we there? Are we almost there? To her, the bumpy ride, jarring dreams, juggling her belly up and down was an adventure, and Poppy had prepared her for it with bedtime stories where everyone lived happily ever after. Arriving at a border swarming with uniformed thugs, three-fifths human, igloos pumping raw sewage through Veins whistling Dixie, prying Poppy and Jaybird apart, her forehead a 105-degree radiator, body spasming, eyes rolling round in her, their sockets, tummy evicting food Poppy had fed her. Terrorist tricks to breach the border, enter the U.S. As were delirious, Distorted, slow motion, last words 
happy are we there? Are we almost there? And this next piece is called uh, Sugar Hill Playdate versus Oslo Peace Process. 35 pound question mark, three foot exclamation point. Doesn't cringe at loud sounds or pee his bed behind nightmares. Cameron, my three-year-old Sugar Hill neighbor's an old soul. I'm honored that he refers to me as my friend Raymond. Cameron's mommy's a surgeon studying for her boards. His granny's a history professor writing another book. So I'm awarded a Cameron play date. Cameron has every truck ever made and knows precisely each truck's function. He teaches truck 101 to anyone in earshot. He warns work will not begin before his bright yellow hard hats jammed over jet black curls. He buckles his tool belt low and tight. He studied styles and moves of the working class has them down pat. Cameron creates tasks for each truck, then schools me on how the crane on one truck works. He doesn't trust me with the trucks. Blessed, he believes mommy and granny will protect him from scary things, feed and hydrate him after he plays hard, read and sing sleepy time lullabies, enforcing peaceful naps as the Sandman invades. So I spare Cameron fractured fairy tales of ambulances twisted into burning bloody metal hulks, pieces of cloth, shoes, drivers, and assistants. I spare him fractured fairy tales from Oz, natives driving zigzag routes round a Frankenstein scar dissecting their homeland, land where his trucks would have different color license plates and stop at checkpoints manned by teenage thugs eager to cast lead. Traveling Oz by truck, Cameron might see caterpillars crunching toys, houses, olive trees, crushing dreams. He might see fools flying, featherless birds shedding shrapnel and white fire. He might hear overloaded donkey carts squealing, moaning like mothers of itty-bitty bloody bodies piled on them. Bodies later stuffed in ice cream freezers to slow their rotting. Body so shredded, even Cameron's surgeon mommy couldn't put their tiny arms, legs, and heads back together again. I spare my friend fractured fairy tales, crushing trucks like his. Thank you. Thank you. Um... I've this I, I 
I want to let our audience know, of course, we are doing this as a way to bring attention to the abuses done to women and and girls as part of the international um, program um, by the, the UN that looks at the theme of violence towards women and young girls and how do we eliminate that violence. And to hear the poets read is a gift because it's a reminder of one of the ways we can do be of service is to draw attention to this. And thank you, Raymond. Thank you, everyone, who's drawing attention. Our next poet is Brianna Munoz. She's a writer from Southern California. She's the author of Loose Lips, a poetry collection published by Prickly Pear Publishing. Her work has been published in the Dryland Literary Journal and Boundless, the anthology of the, of the Rio Grande the Rio Grande Valley International Poetry Festival, and in the Oaken Arts Review, among others. Hi, how are you doing, Brianna? I can, thank you. I'm doing well. Uh, it's a little... Oh, um, it, is your sound okay? Um, I, I can't hear you. Can you hear me? Oh, now I can hear you. Yes, now I can hear you. Okay, great, great. Well, I'm just happy you're here. Yeah, thank you for having me, and thank, thank you for organizing. Um, and thank you all poets so far um, for sharing your palabra today. Um, I'll just do one poem. It's uh, titled Tongue Your Troops, and it is um, in my forthcoming collection titled Everything is Returned to the Soil. It is not enough to just speak your truths. You must shout them. You must sing them into sky and storm and sow them into soil to create showers of lightning bolts that electrocute epiphany into the chests of those around you. Speak them in a way that other begin, others begin to memorize them, in a way that others compare your truths to their truths. Spit out hesitation and doubt like a wet woogie. You must analyze them under microscope, analyze them from the four directions and beyond. Glawitzlampa, Witzlampa, Siwitzlampa, Miklampa. Purge them from soul and body and mind. Your truths should be told in languages understood by all tongued into dialect, danced into visual arts. Your truths should be exhausted, wrestled every day, held in a chokehold, dehydrated, performed like pageant queens or show ponies, filing claims to HR for exploitation, ridden like burrows at border towns, realized during hot baths or meditation. Your truths should be sharp like the edges a fenced wire that skating scoundrels hop over in attempt to outrun the cops. Your truth should never be muffled, should never be held under tongue to keep the boat from rocking. 
Uh, your truth should wreak havoc against the narrow-minded and obsolete. Should know no color, no sex, no class or age. Your truth should be jarred and opened on your difficult days like ladybugs, pens aggressively carved into bathroom stalls or tree bark, swallowed, swished from right cheek to left cheek like red wine. Your truth should never sell out. Your truth should be rooted beneath flesh under rib, but they should grow and extend like the breath of Abuelita's pomegranate tree and the receding and crashing of the saltwater sea. Your truth should exist, resist, and long live. Thank you. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's a reminder that the importance of speaking your truth, because that can be very healing, very healing. Our next poet is Peggy Morrison. And I want to give a shout out to Peggy because Peggy has a good memory. I was so overwhelmed with work. And then Peggy said, Kim, we're doing this. Remember, (laughs) we're doing the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. And Peggy, thank you for waking me out of my stuff out of whatever I was in and reminding me of this very important day so I'm very appreciative now, Peggy is a California writer who grew up in Long Beach then raised her daughter Kima in Watsonville while working as a bilingual teacher she now lives and works in the in the San Francisco Bay Area and she's the author of a wonderful book of poetry called Mom Says published in 20, uh, 2020 um, I almost said 1920. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you for reminding me, and thank you for being here, Peggy. Thank you, Kim. And I must say you did a dazzling job of organizing the reading, and it's so... In two days. (laughs) It's so amazing to see what a great organizer you are and, you know, your communication skills and how how everyone responded to you. And thank you everyone for sharing your your work. I'm honored to be among you and I have a few pieces to share. The first is called Patron Saint. The world saw her fat and her hair fly away. Saw a foreigner, a peasant woman Saw she did not belong. Saw she was soft and hurt her because of that. Squeezed her with rough pliers. Threw her away. Pushed her aside. Loved her softness for a moment and then found it dull. All the world did not see her sharp mind, her relentless courage, her power, as she spent herself to hold body and soul together. Protect us. Protect her children. Pay the rent in the light bill, penny pinch, and be looked down upon by the arrogant. Sacrifice. Have no way out. The whole machinery hurt my mother. The machinery that made it her fault. The low pay for the smart work she did. Her precise calculations. Her work bought. The low rent house. Desperate tears. Desperate decisions. Fear. Prayers to St. Jude the saint of hopeless causes, to be a woman in a machinery of want. 
Me duele la paciencia. It hurts. La paciencia. Porque mi mamá aguanta todo. Todo y demasiado. Y que lo aguante por mí. Ella, una mujer aterrada, ojos hinchados y la cara tensa, que no pagó el bill y que the check bounce y que nos van a quitar la luz. Los tenis tienen agujeros otra vez y en la misa la miran. Una mujer desgraciada. Hasta sus hermanas la daban su caridad despreciándola, cuidándonos por piedad y despreciándonos en sus casas grandes con los carros nuevos, mientras mi mamá lloraba después del trabajo, cansada, en la casita rentada. Verde me la recuerdo. Y mientras, nosotros también llorábamos. Quiero mi papá. Todos abrazándonos. And here's the translation. Patience. It's unbearable to see her doing whatever it takes, making it through for the kids' sake. Anxious eyes, tense face. She didn't pay the bill and the check bounce and they're gonna turn off the gas and electric yellow notice on the door. She's trying to make ends meet. My kickball tennis have holes in the toes again. Sunday mass, they look at her, a woman who couldn't keep her man, disgraced. Even her sisters despise her, a charity case, babysitting us out of pity and obligation, looking down on us from their big houses with their new cars while my mom cries after work, tired in the little rented house, green I remember, and we cried too. I want my daddy, all hugging each other. When my mom says, beauty must suffer, we are in the kitchen. I'm standing squished between the washer and the ironing board with my head leaning into my mom's soft chest. She is ironing my dad's white dress shirt with a starched collar and tiny buttons. And she is stopping for a quick minute to braid my waist link hair. It is about 7.30 a.m and sunlight comes in the window over the kitchen sink. My mom is pulling each braid tight to catch up the wispy hairs near my temple, so tight that she bends my neck and my eyes are pulled into slits. So I cry, ouch, it hurts, stop it. And mom says, beauty must suffer. This is the wrong house. I jump from the bed trying to get away, crash my quadriceps full into the corner of the cedar hope chest that was my mom's. Felt a deep bruise forming, but nothing is visible. The thigh, ordinary flesh. My head hurts and I feel numb. Resources are low, but one has to keep feeling to make a revolution. Can't shake the sense that this is the wrong house not the one I intended to spend myself building. And yet, where else is home? Who is family? And I wanna end with this piece called Beach Street, Watsonville. 
on school days, I drive my turquoise 65 Chevy Vega 2 station wagon on Beach Street, a straight shot into town past a couple of miles of black and green lettuce fields. One Saturday, I travel the same road on my rusty bicycle, a slower pace, watching the fields where so many people moved hunched over the earth early at work. Ahead, I see two farm worker women at break time talking as they sit on the bank of the ditch, half filled with water that separates the road from the field. They are wearing high-necked, long-sleeve shirts, cloth tennis shoes, worn, muddy jeans. Bandanas cover their dark hair, eyes squinting against the dust and sun, straightening their backs for a few minutes while they eat their bag lunch, looking at the road. I break the monotony of their view and they notice my approach. One woman catches my eye and her eyes meet across the mud, asphalt and the dusty air, exchange a silent greeting. She signals by tilting her face, nods to direct my attention to the other side of the road. I catch in my peripheral vision something flutter white a snowy egret lifts into flight. The women and I turn together, catch our breath by the egret's churning grace. Thank you so much. I just have to say, I am like in awe today. The beauty of the poetry that we are hearing, it opens the heart. And once again, I want to also remind our audience that this is the first, November 25th is the first day of this year's International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. will mark the launch of 16 days of activism that will conclude on December 10th, which is International Human Rights Day. You know, we're doing this, but think about it. There's something you can do that you think might make a difference whether it's donating funds to groups that help women who have been treated in a manner that is devastating or they've been abused, or you find some way to make a difference. If it is one person that you help, that makes a difference. We are all connected. And events or items like this help to remind us that we are connected. And if one person is suffering, then we are all suffering in some manner. Our next poet is Tarita McHale. She's a story medicine woman, and she is activist for holism, is a Qigong energy therapist, lyricist, executive director of the Tree of Life Foundation Literacy Health Project, and she has published over 70 student anthologies of poetry for at-risk youth via California poets in the schools throughout the San Francisco, Alameda, Contra Costa, and Jefferson Unified School Districts since 1989. She's also featured poet storyteller for the Black Panthers anniversary, so she was for the Black Panthers anniversary. Hi, how are you doing, Tarita? 
to read it? Okay. You got okay. Okay, I can hear you. Okay, very good. Okay, thanks. Um, wow, the, it's always a, a joy to listen and hear and just uh, take in. And uh, wow, so I have two pieces. First piece has three sections. This is called her sermon on the mount. God, he, God, he, God, he, God, he, God, God is good all the time, all the time, all the time. God is good all the time, all the time, all the time. He watches over us, watches over us, take care of us. He watches over us, watches over us. He watches over us. He, he, he watches over us. He, he, he watched them take my baby. He watched them rape my baby. He watched them lynch my baby, butcher my baby, burn my baby, drown my baby, bottomize my baby, jail my baby, traffic my baby, imprison my baby. God, God, God works in mysterious ways. Yes, he does. He works in mysterious ways. God, he, 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 he good. He good. He good all the time. God, he's, he good all the time, all the time. He, he watched them commit genocide on my babies, kidnapping our babies, trafficking our babies. I told you he trafficked our babies, raping our babies, hanging our babies, lobotomizing our babies, shooting our babies for an offering of sacrifice for their sins. Cause we born broken, don't you know? We born broken. God, he, he, he good. He good. He good all the time, all the time. God, he's good all the time. My country, tis of thee, one nation under, he, 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 he good. Quiet child. That God switched habitat for humanity off long ago. He demands insanity, insanity run his warship, cut stars from sky, commands we rely on his word, his will be done, not hers, because it's not into earth, women, children, water, womb. Nor is he into sun, moon, reasons to season the seed cooked just right. Her mathematics unholy, her knowledge a sin in this garden. Only he can be righteous. Are you listening, child? Your prayer ends with amen. A group of men cast monotheistic charms, absolving one another from fault without end. It is coming to a close, but know this, child. Dog is man's best friend, not woman. Don't you see? The anadrome for dog is God. Whether coming or going, this spell tells you to sit, heal, fetch, stay down, bitches, and wonder not why you are treated worse than. What is blasphemy? What does it look like? Behave? Who pronounced judgment? What epistemic rims support the gate of this castle? Which membrane allows certain things in or certain things out for its good. Who serves? 
And then my last piece is fairly short. Memories wing. And this is from uh, the book Synchronicity, the Oracle of Sun Medicine that came out this year. We ride ghostly caverns, red iron silt, navel to navel, ship to shore, sunlight winds, win tomb to womb, womb to tomb. Moon ties nine times parting waters in house of hearts. Read omnipotent breed breathes horns born blood memory. Records symphonies time without end. Fin feet feather deed seeds living trust. Magnifying miracles. Hollywood names. Chariots that let us ride. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I feel, honestly, I feel honored just to be here listening to you all. Thank you. Sharita, that was amazing. Yeah, thank you. Our next poet is Carla Brundridge. She's a Bay Area-based poet, activist, and educator with a passion for social justice. Carla is a board member of the Before Columbus Foundation, which provides recognition and a wider audience for the wealth of cultural and ethnic diversity that constitutes American writing. She holds an MA in education from San Francisco State University and an MFA from Mills College. Oh, and and Carla, could you let us know you just had a book come out? Um, Could could you also mention that? Oh, um, sure. Um, my book that's out most recently actually features some of the people in here, Colossus Home. It's something I edited, um, and all the funds go to uh, Moms for Housing, and you can find us, um, our website is Colossus510. Excellent. Thank you. Okay. I have a small series of poems on the theme of date rape, and one poem on hopefully on empowerment. Mm -hmm. So I'll just get into it. One drop rule. Is the propensity to be raped inherited? Statistics say yes. Read the bodies of the women in my family. Uncover, naked, should I explain? Great Grandma Charlotte, murdered. Grandma Lottie, what did she witness? Mama Kay, by gunpoint. Me, it was between friends. Where do we log the names of those whose bodies have been violated? Hips pressed against wailing wall. Quadroon. Fragments of bloodlines. She walks the quad before sun rises. Flashes of memory, shoulders squeezed between angry thumbs. She desired to be held, but not held down. Muffled scream, a bang on the door, locked in. Now she weaves her way home, hair matted in semen. 
cold prickles shiver her bare thighs, night's sequined dress a drape. What is betrayal and how did it change you? It comes from that which you love most, surprise slice of a knife, razor in the tub, a slip when chopping tomatoes, in darkness, asleep in the warm bed of trust, dogs come for your flesh, eyes watch and wait, icicle to the heart, a skinny girl stands naked on the stage, lights shine on her bare skin. Who are you and whom do you love, black woman? My heart is at the dog's belly, lying in the street, blood. No one returned to pick it up. A man with curly brown hair, dead, a silver heel, slamming of metal doors. I went home that night and all the glasses fell off the shelves. You could see right through me to the other side. I told you not to go there, daughter said. So, you know, women, we learn how to um, survive. And only recently I was actually sitting in my yard talking with Wanda and Mama Makita. And um, I came up with this poem, which I'm pretty happy about. I feel like it's kind of empowering. And since we're fighting to stop violence against women, I'll end with this one. It's called Emotional Problems and Mean Girl Skills. I got mean girl skills. The ability to kick your ass when you mess with my girls. Call in the troops, frying pan, hot grits, slam the door, take your stuff out on the porch in the rain. I got mean girl skills. Call the teacher out on her racism. Leave the restaurant when the waitress ignores you. Talk loud when I want. I got mean girl skills. Thank you. I don't see that as mean girl skills. I see that as basically being an assertive black woman. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. We've got to basically say our piece. Um, our next poet, as Wanda was just recently mentioned by Carla, and Mar Wanda is a journalist and author. She moonlights as a college professor in Alameda, California. For 30 years, one of her many literary events has been hosting the first Saturday every February from 1990 to 2020 at the West Oakland Library, a celebration of African-American writers and their poetry. She's a co-founder of Mayafa, San Francisco Bay Area. It's in its 25th season, October 2020. And I want to say it's, Wanda, what you've done to remind us of our heritage as African-American um, is, is just beautiful. And that you've kept it up for 25 years is a testament to your commitment. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome, Kim. Well, Carla, since you, um, you did the holler, you know, about the Mean Girls, I will start with, with that particular poem. 
and, and work my way backwards. I have three pieces. Night rain. One. We are the girls who get up when pushed down, shake off the pain and keep walking, ignoring the blood dripping from ripped shirts, taking off the offensive item, our shame in the dirt where we drop it, in the dust. The clouds are placed to hide until we can remember where we placed our hearts. We are the girls to grit our teeth, to keep our tongues from jumping out of mouths. We are so full of ourselves, we have to open channels so that we don't explode. We levitate, fly, and try to remember boundaries, human boundaries, limitations and rules, adults press like gravity when we're into grace and gratitude and escape. Three, we are the girls who don't have addresses, girls you can't find, girls you better appreciate now because you blink and it might be forever. We are that impossible to grasp, hold, destroy. Four, destruction, that is a problem. We are the girls who abhor reformation. We like flying instead of walking, leaping and singing instead of sleeping. We lay me down to sleep when we die and not a second before. We too busy thinking and plotting and planning our future to doze off. Five, we the girls who get sent to the office, learn to smoke cigars with the principal and blow smoke and laughter in teachers' faces. We are the smart girls. We are the girls who figure it out long before the answer is discovered. We only ask for a small royalty cut. We are the girls who know her worth and make the world pay and pay and pay. We're not taking any checks, no. Gold and silver and pearls, we like to trade. Six, we are the mean girls. We are the girls that will cut your throat before you think about cutting ours. It's easier that way because we are the kind of girls you either love or hate. The binary is hella clear. We step over the dead, bearing our secrets with the slain. We travel light and don't allow hitchhikers. We are not into charity. And well, if we have enough to share, we probably won't. Yeah, we that girl. Seven, we hard cause we learn drinking formula, the formula. Even family is unreliable. Family can hurt you worse than an enemy. Something about the blood, the way family organs are stitched together along a seam, carry a seam ripper and amputate it before it atrophies. A prosthesis is better than gangrene. Cut your losses, talk mean, cause the world ain't feeling no pussycat. Wear your armor cause the armor gets respect and respect spends a lot further than kindness. Fear is an even better deal, but fear is hard to sustain. Ammunition is expensive, and then you need a firing range and ducks. Eight, we are the girls who give birth to themselves, who never had a mama, who don't miss what they never had. Nine, mean girls make it rain, so carry an umbrella. 10, we are the girls who live in cars, who walk the streets, who ride BART all night, who, whose looks will rip your heart out. We are the girls wishing for a bit of peace, but all we find is trouble. We are the girls who call home and hang up before there is an answer. We are the girls who erase memories and feel so alone. We are the girls who can't forget and can't forgive. We are the mean girls, tough and strong and invincible. 
between layers insecurely latched. We admit, mean girl is a persona that can't last. Reflection on pain. I am a domestic violence survivor. The malady, a post-slavery relic, doesn't skip generations. I watched my father hit my mother. The term beaten doesn't quite reflect what I recall. My mother resisted, just as her embodied mothers did as well. The idea of family, something she desired, kept pulling her back until she finally left. When mama left my father, brother, and me, the terror did not stop. We were also slapped, hit, beheaded. At 19, I left one evening with my head in one hand, packed bag in the other, and stepped into a worse horror, a bed I couldn't vacate until buzzards circled my door as the black widower departed. I was 29 then. That ex-husband morphed into several other fatalities. I kept marrying my father over and over again until now, I just keep my distance from any intimate relationship. All Muslim men, Sufi, Nation of Islam converts to Sunni, emancipated and still shackled. They are no good, none of them. 40 years ago, I asked the imam at the Muslim center I attended if we could host a circle for women survivors of domestic violence. He agreed and said I could host it. But I didn't want to host it. I just wanted to attend one. I, I'd still like to attend such a circle composed of not women born outside America, rather women raised Muslim from the Nation of Islam forward. Women who have had lots of ayats shoved down their throats, ayats or verses that condone male violence against women. Beat her lightly. She deserved it. Men are the caretakers of women. You may dislike a thing that brings about a great deal of good, all from the Quran. I didn't have anywhere to run. I asked. I looked for announcers along an underground railroad. There were no safe houses, no shelters, no abolitionist movement. My father told me a woman's place is with her husband. I should have expected such a response, but I didn't. So I stayed with the abuser until I had a job that could support me and my two daughters. Three long, scary years. I just wanted to get away before they too bore witness and became trapped in memories, nightmares haunting me to date. I don't think they suffered such abuse in their relationships. I don't think they have suffered such abuse in their relationships, but I can't say the same for their children. Perhaps such violence lies dormant like a sleeper cell and gets triggered in certain circumstances. I have experienced physical and emotional abuse. I think the emotional abuse is worse because it is here that the insidious manipulation happens, the wounds invisible, so that one thinks she imagined such. This is what the perpetrator wants us to believe. Sisters, the wounds are real, indecision, self-doubt, low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, suicide. I keep a therapist employed I think this is why I'm still alive and functional 41 years after the first time I was hit, pregnant with my first child. It was at Lake Merritt in Oakland. I was sitting in a swing by the bird sanctuary. And this is my last one. And it's a warning to pedophiles and other cowards. Sweet on her.
I used to believe in forgiveness until he hurt you. Now I just want him to feel pain, broken legs and torn limbs and tongue ripped from mouth, then sewn back again to be ripped out again and again, like Sisyphus pushing rocks up hills only to roll back down again. I don't care if he was hurt too and that hurt people hurt people. This isn't true. All of us have been hurt and not all of us robbed children of their innocence. I hate him. Yes, I really do. If I saw him, I might forget myself, forget that I have given vengeance to the Christian God and tried unsuccessfully to let it go. Platitudes, let go and let God. Who believes this? I don't anymore. I just want him to feel pain and even then, it will never equal your life taken. He is better off dead. So lucky I didn't see him when I was looking for him. Gun loaded, I was planning to empty it into the shell that is his frame. But he skipped work that evening and then escaped. He escaped sentencing too, perhaps even blame. It's that forgiveness thing. But I don't forgive him. I will never forgive him. He should be happy that I'm not God and that I am not responsible for his soul because it would be kindling, burning and burning and burning, his eyes screaming mouth silence like my baby when she is sober, when she is alone. There's nothing he can say ever to mend the life he broke, the child he robbed of all her goodness, or at least she thinks so. And so she gives away what's left to scavengers. They circle her, sniff her blood I wish were his. But he has escaped for now. Responsibility for a life squandered. This is not the end. He will have to look over his shoulder for the rest of his life, just in case I start believing in God's grace. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. And thank you for your words. Um, Hopefully, there's a person listening to this who is experiencing some of the same things. They will get help. There is always help. And, I, you know, what everyone has been saying today is so powerful. I think I've been crying <laughs> just to hear these, these words. It's a reminder that we have so much work to do to heal ourselves and to heal our communities. Thank you, Wanda. Our next poet is Avacha. She's a card-carrying, New York-born music fanatic, sound junkie, and a popular Bay Area radio DJ. She is a lifelong musician, writer, educator, and storyteller who's been published in English and Spanish in the U.S., Mexico, and Europe. Avacha is an award-winning poet and multi-instrumentalist and a popular Bay Area radio personality with the group titled Avacha and Modupe. And they're just incredible. They um, won the Bay Area Blues Society Jazz Group of the Year in 2005 and 2010. How are you doing, Avacha? I'm, I'm overwhelmed, folks, just what can I say? Woo! And I don't know, Wanda must have been reading my mind because I'm going to touch that same subject, and no, I don't forgive them either. So this first one is called A Screaming Silence or Every Every Teacher's uh, Worst Nightmare. 
This Liliana sat in the back of the class. I said she always sat in the back of the class. Such a pretty girl. Smart as she was pretty and as distant as the planet Mars. She never looked into my eyes, and I, I never knew quite what to say. I mean, what do you say when all you can see is what remains of the pain and the years drowned by tears and the secrecy, the secret, her secret? Frankie was just a little boy, an almost perfect little boy. Strangely beautiful, quiet, and shy, he wore a silence so loud it screamed. Frankie never seemed to laugh or play, and even though he'd never let me get too close, he'd always sort of sneak up on me and rub his face against my arm and run away when I'd try to touch his shoulder and hide behind his terrible secret, that secret, and it hurt. I say it hurt because I never knew what to say, what to do. What do you do? How do you take the pain away from a silence so loud you could hear the hidden tears? How do you expose the unspoken, the unspeakable, invisible, ever-present hidden monsters, stolen innocence hidden in the shadows of too many dirty secrets, stolen childhood hidden behind the pain of too much undeserved shame? Sometimes their helplessness hurts so much. Burns like a red-hot branding iron, and I want to scream for them, cry for them, fight for them, and publicly undress all those monsters who seem to have nothing better to do than to put out the lights in our children's eyes and turn what should be beautiful lives into lifetimes of nightmares. Trying to teach sometimes can be a frightening thing when all you can feel is all the feeling these children have learned to disown, a terror so strong you can Feel the buried fear hidden behind the blank deadness of their eyes, eyes that have forgotten how to cry, eyes of a child who's seen way too much, been felt up too much, and touched on so much they finally shut down and turn off at the thought of any kind of touch, and her to learn how not to feel anything at all, and it hurts. I say it hurts so bad because I still don't know what to say, what to do. How do you take the pain away from a silence so loud you can hear the hidden tears? How do we expose the unspoken, the unspeakable, and pull off the invisibility, the pretty masks that cover whatever we don't want to see? Why can't we call these hidden monsters by their names and stop playing games? It's time to free up all the little boys and girls before they get forever lost in the cesspool before they've been completely destroyed, it's time we tear down the walls and let these children know they're not alone and that what happened was not their fault. Their only crime was a beauty so powerful that the evil and the beast could not sleep till that beauty was reduced to a horrible level of filth and ugliness, a feeling as ugly and cold as the hole that once housed a molester's soul. I say it's time. It's time for this emotional prison to fall and expose its insanity for just what it is, a sickness that's older than dirt, a madness that causes nothing but hurt and throws some very serious light on the world's worst and most violent, most damaging, and most well-hidden secret. Ay, Dios. And it's so sad when you, co you, you learn to recognize the, the, the signs every time you go into the classroom and one of these children comes in and then they're either over-sexualized or completely dead, you know, emotionally brain dead. And, and uh, it's, just, it's just horrible. And you're just left. And I still cry every time I think about it. This one is called The Wasteland of Tastelessness. When a so-called uh, one of the, the poetic literati decided that uh, I, he was going to do me the favor of... Uh, 
of integrating my life, a wasteland of tastelessness. Did it ever enter your mind how tiring it's become having to dance around your unanswered intentions? I need to know, in what hallucinatory, irrational vision were you given the permission to touch me? I'm tired of living life fighting to keep my dignity afloat and not get locked into cursing you out each and every time you assume it's your right to put your hands on me, always going out of your way to touch my leg like it was your God-given right to. I say I'm tired. I'm tired of fighting, but I'm not going to act a fool and lose my soul because of jumping in your face and cooling you out of your name. Though i got to let you know in no uncertain terms, that there's going to be a snowstorm in hell before I allow myself to get caught up in the crudeness of your rudeness or fall into the trap of your unasked for flattery. God knows I don't want to play with you. And I have absolutely no intention of sinking and drowning and getting all lost in the tasteless wasteland of your unrelenting lust. I want to know if it ever occurred to you that there might actually be a brain but were above what you've imagined between my legs, or did you just choose to remain drunk on sleazy X-rated schemes, dreams usually born when thinking with the wrong head, intoxicated, completely wasted on overrated delusions of unquestionable prowess and fantastic fantasies of conquest, or has your vision gotten completely cloudy from staring too long through the deceptive smoke screen of your own jism? So sad you've never given yourself a, a, a real look on the inside. You've never grown past the scam. And the only real time that you've ever really listened to any of my poems or really heard anything else I had to say was on one of those many days when you were trying to find another way of working your way into my bed. So sad. The only time you took the time to see me above my waist was during some far-out delusion, one more wet dream about some horny, hot-blooded colored girl panting ecstatically, willingly, and joyfully captured, enraptured beneath your irresistible passion, blissfully locking up my own self under the weight of your prison, the prison of your embrace. I wonder if it doesn't, if you, if you ever notice, or does it even matter? Did it ever enter your mind just how this fantasy could cost you so much once upon a time, there was a time when all you had all my respect and knowing you would have been a, considered the highest of honors, knowing you, poet to poet, as just another serious artist, a writer whose words will always sing like music, but I want no part of your touchy-feely dancing, for whatever it's worth. The crassness of your actions has destroyed every chance of ever being able to call this very, very, very pissed-off sister any kind of friend. And... uh Real short one here. It's called Madness on MacArthur. This happened one night on the way to a poetry reading. Uh, it was at Bluesville, and I was looking forward to, you know, looking forward to having this thing happen. And I stopped at a gas station here in Oakland. It's called Madness on MacArthur. It was just a gas station, and I needed some gas. It was a weird scene. Looked like there were more bicycles and cars riding around the gas pumps. There was something sleazy about the place, but I thought, oh, well, what the hell? I'm just going to get my gas and get the hell out of here. I had no idea. I had just driven into Nightmare Alley. I thought I'd seen anything and everything. thought nothing could surprise me, but pimps on bicycles that were as old as they were, oh, no way. These jokers had token, taken the low life to a whole new level. I couldn't believe the shit broken down, bicycle riding pimps, middle-aged, washed-up wannabes, and a few young understudies 
Sucker so played out they couldn't even catch a cold in a snowstorm. I thought it was some kind of joke, some kind of male menopausal ritual. Knew they were selling wolf tickets and gorilla chips talking trash out the side of their necks. Knew the crap coming out their mouths couldn't be the real deal. Bicycle riding pimps and filthy clothes and mouths full of gold. How low can you go? And they had the nerve to be proud of it and jump bad and be loud about it. Bragging, bragging, bragging about riding the ad, checking on their big-time moneymakers. I almost choked to death trying not to fall out laughing until I noticed all the action on the corner, and I choked. I say I choked as my laughter drowned in my tears as my eyes fell on these two little girls. I say two little girls strutting the whole stroll like it was the only home they'd ever known. Two, two little girls younger than my grandsons wearing these frontless, backless, bottomless, topless evening straps. And I, I wondered why on earth would these two pretty little girls risk their lives and walk the chilly streets half naked in the middle of the night selling themselves to no-count tricks old enough to be their father, throwing away their childhood for some bike-riding Casanovas who were old enough to be their father. Or maybe they just lost their way while they were out there looking for their fathers. Have you seen them? I ask you, have you ever seen them? Have you seen them? I think we better start looking for them before all these kids wind up even more lost than he is. Thank you for your ears. I'm going to put our poetry series in the in the chat, and thank you for sharing all your wonderful words with, with me and each other. And I hope that some people, especially people, children out there who've been molested have heard it and know that some of us recognize what's happening and tell somebody quick. And, yes, please, if you are, anyone you know is in that situation, talk to people. Do not hold it in. This is why this is important. What we're doing today is important. But the words of Avacha and so many have talked about, they've had these experiences. We've all talked to a woman who tells us 20 years later she was molested as a child, but she never told because she was afraid. And that's why the International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women is so important. And please know that this is the first day of 16 days of activism, 16 days of activism where you can do things and they'll recognize you're not alone. There are people who are working on this issue. You can go to the UN. It's a, you, you can just look up, just go to International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women. You can see activities or learn about ways that you can join in to talk about these issues that are so important to all of us healing. Can I add something on that? As a teacher, one of the things that horrified me is when we, uh, other teachers or students would report it, they would call the parents in, and those parents were the people who were molesting the kids. So, I mean, that's got to stop. I mean, if a child says something, trusts you enough to say something, please do something. That's all I can say. Yes, yes. Thank you, Avacha. Thank you for your words. Our next poet is is wonderful. He's a Pushcart-nominated poet, Rich Ferguson. He shared the stage with Patti Smith, the great Wanda Coleman, Moby, and other esteemed poets and musician. He is a featured performer in the film What About Me, featuring, I believe, Michael Stipp, I may be pronouncing it incorrectly, um, Michael Franti, Katie Lang, and others. His poetry and award-winning spoken word music videos have been widely anthologized, and he was a winner in the 
Opium Magazine's Literary Death Match in Los Angeles. Uh, hi, how are you doing, Rich? I'm doing well. Thank you I'm so much for having me. And uh, it's such an honor to be here with everyone. So thank, thank you, everyone. Remember when we shared the same breath and were one? When we shared a language that defied hungry ghosts or we swam together in wild waters that could not drown us? Since our fall from grace, we have lost kinship with innocence. We have experienced so many variations of original sin that its taste has become far, far from original. These paradises we have burned and abandoned have collapsed into a garden of Eden now bleeding a complex geometry where parallel lines of love and consideration contend with irrational proportions of emotional, physical neglect and constriction. Non-complementary angles of sexism versus fairness. Those seeking domination battle it out with those seeking collaboration in the multidimensional arena of our human condition. When seeking union between the sexes, one must learn to transform opposition into empowerment, cruelty into congruency, create ratios of respect, equilateral equality, a more perfect circle of the sexes, one that unifies, strives to heal this wound of being human, for we are quick to anger, slow to heal. Dragging our inner rivers for the body of evidence that can free us from the gridlocked and mind-locked madness of our Garden of Eden now bleeding, the place where one confuses the highly personal with the universal, retunes enlightenment to a TV reality where we can't stop looking at our cell phones, even when in the presence of redemption. In our garden of Eden now bleeding, hear the gunfire and continual cry of sirens, witness our struggles to grow beyond our insanities and instabilities, new bones sprouting from old burdened psyches, surviving alley fights with a world gone rogue, carving weapons sharp enough to protect us from the dangers in this garden of Eden now bleeding, that we may one day untether ourselves from this mothership of mayhem. Float off into harmonic stardust, witness ourselves in the cracked mirror moon, realizing that despite it all, we have the potential to become beautiful and unbroken. That beyond our garden of Eden now, bleeding our flowers of good fortune can flourish, even as our world devolves into deserts of destruction, that we can sleep with fire and wake up the right kind of bright. And we can return to innocence and from innocence to shadow, that we can return to shadow and from shadow to the river, that we can return to the river, from the river to the crossroads, from the crossroads to song, from song to heart, from heart to a home where a new union between man and man and woman and woman and man and woman can blossom souls guided by plant instinct, tenacious in the desire to rise root voice. A journey from oblivion into brilliance, our seed smiles, a multiplying joy. In our new garden of Eden, no longer bleeding, remember to let the flowers grow, but pull away the weeds before they tower over us on this spinning ball of eroding and beautiful blue. Thanks, Kim. Are you reading anything else, Rich? Thank you. That was that was beautiful. 
Thank you. Guys, this has been like an amazing, amazing night. Our last poet is Devorah Major. Uh, Devorah has served as San Francisco's third poet laureate from 2002 to 2006. She has two novels published, An Open Weave and Brown Glass Windows, that have been called Science Fiction and Magical Realism. She currently has a wonderful book out right now called Califia's Daughter that if you haven't picked it up, please do. It's amazing. It's published by Willow Press, and it came out in July 2020. Hi, Devorah. How are you doing? Are you... uh, You see, Devorah, can you open, just um, unmute yourself? Yeah. Good. Good. Hey. Hi. Can you hear me? All right. I'm on my sometimey computer again, but I can see better there, and I know the sounds better. I have two pieces. Everybody I could hear was amazing. I was actually teaching a poetry class, so I was late, but I'm glad I could hear everyone I've heard. It's been wonderful. Violence Snapshots. A feral shapeshifter changing its expression but not its intent. Nightstick or tongue, cartoon or caricature or whip, violence seeks to control and in its path, I'm sorry, violence seeks to control all in its path. Violence shatters people and things with a whirling storm of pointed anger, pulverized bone, sinew, spirit. It flattens hearts, drains blood, incinerates community, obliterates family, buries love. Colonizer of countries, subjugator of people, it raises flags and proclaims its victories in the name of terror. Violence arrives like the wind, whispering or with booming explosions, as a thrusting energy that seeks to invade, deform, dominate, destroy. It occupies our dwellings, sits at our tables uninvited, sleeps in our beds, tearing off all the covers, forcing us to the floor. It stands guard at our doorways, allowing in only its anointed brethren and trusted allies, all armed and ready to flatten and demolish our homes. Sometimes we grow so close to violence, we think it's a family member who gently cradles our throbbing head between its skeleton fingers, first scraping our temples and then squeezing like an iron vice until our newly blinded eyes burst from their sockets. And the second one came from this um, United Nations report. One in three women will be raped, beaten, coerced into sex or otherwise abused in her lifetime. For women and girls 16 to 44 years old, violence is the major cause of death and disability. I am chewing on these numbers, bitter and thorny, finding my place in the line as one 
one of the hundreds, one of the thousands, one of the millions, one of the wave, one of the one in three women, one who has survived and flourished, one who loves men now as before, as much as not more, one who trusts women now as before, as much if not more. My sister friend tells me that we women are to find healing inside ourselves, reach in and reach up and grow it from the tears and welts and screams. To survive, to keep the keeping on, we must each walk the valleys of our own fears and furies, by ourselves find the answer somewhere close between the heart and belly. But I think it is more than one. It is more than me or she being a superwoman can do it by myself, for myself, armored yet vulnerable, independent yet interconnected, shopping, cooking, cleaning, working, loving, caring for, making a meal out of two beans and a pot of bones, curing a sickness with the laying on of hands and sonorous song, helping the sun to rise and the moon to set, all the while hairdo intact, Clothes showing each curve and sinew, limbs ready for sweat and passion, eyes clear and shiny, smile full and open. I am woman, but it is the we that makes me strong. It is the we that finds me able. It is the we leaning against each other. We laced together, sisters bruised yet daring, brothers humbled yet strident. Children, hope and faithful standing with us. It is the we, women and men together, who will turn this tide. And I thank you. Are you going to read any more? Um, no, more? I just wanted to do the two pieces. All right. Well, I want to open up the... Um, everyone, open your... Um, well, however you do, open up your so that we can yeah. all talk and 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 share. And if there's anything that came up, if there's any feelings or or things that you thought were important that would be helpful, because as we've said earlier, this is an important poetry. I think it's one of our most important. We've all worked as a group as Wake Up America poets, and this idea of of speaking on the dangers and the pain that women have experienced because of violence. The International Day for the Elimination of Violence Against Women is today, November 25th. We have 16 days of activism after this to show the importance of women, letting women know that their voices count. If you are in danger, if you are in a position or in a situation that is dangerous, get help. Do not stay. There are people who are willing to help. There are organizations. And remember, you are not alone. That is the most important thing to remember. And if anyone else, I, I want to say that the, the, the poetry from the very beginning has been so powerful from, from Kim Shuck's poetry to Nina reminding us of how Mama Kawat got so many of us together to speak on this issues so many years ago. There's just, I feel so much gratitude that we're gathered. Um, 
And so anyone, if you have anything to say, please do. I wanted to say I love the way we ended this whole wonderful reading with Devorah's last line about how together we we can make change and healing. And I thought that was a perfect way to end this whole reading. Thank you. I, I wanted to uh, pipe in, even though, you know, I wanted to lay back a little bit being male in this mix, but... Again, you know, as I've done several times before, I want to commend uh, Kim Kim and for being a gather gatherer of us all. The same is true at Wanda, Avatu, and that is, you know, that's still very important. And I think um, tonight has been really incredibly beautiful to see the diversity of expression, which I think is real cool because one of my feelings, I've, I've been more detached from the literary community because I always felt that there's a certain way one must come at things, whereas in the music world, there's room for uh, Melba Liston, Miles Davis, uh, Jerry Allen, Betty Carter, you know, and their ways of expression. There's no um, academy or realm that says, you know, this is right and this is not right. But I think tonight has been very moving for me to see just so many variations on a theme. And, and And I must say, too, I've known some of you for many, many years but I didn't really know you until tonight, and my love for you is so much damn deeper tonight. So, love you madly. <laughs> I just wanted to. Oh, I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, oh, we can, can you hear, hear you. Yes, oh, Jenny. I thought I was muted. <laughs> I just want to say I've known like uh, Ray, Avacha, Tarita, and. Nina and a few of you uh, more recently, but um, what I noticed and was very inspiring was how your work, I've I've heard your early work when you were younger, when I was younger, and how it's evolved and deepened. And um, tonight I really heard the maturity of the voices and uh, that's what happens when you become... You embody your words to such a point that you become your poetry. So I, I, I wanted to tell everybody that uh, I felt that from you all, and I saw that. Congratulations. Mm. Beautiful. I'd like to just say something that I um, I realized as I was listening more and more that um, you know I chose to do a uh, couple of pieces and one in particular from another poet in and um from an internationalist point of view and yet when i hear very personal uh stories i think um that i didn't i particularly didn't invite my sister who um usually comes to our my events if on zoom now she lives now in florida but one of the reasons was um 
for many years she lived in Israel, and I wouldn't visit her there because of my own boycott, personal boycott of Israel. And um, we had a she's she's a her complex relationship to Israel. She's a Messianic Jew, so she found Jesus, and actually that happened because she had been raped in New York mm-hmm. in the eighties, and. When I just listened to people's stories, I mean, I was with her. I got a phone call when she got when she was at um, Bellevue Hospital, and um, I just feel like it would have been very important for her to be here. And yet, there's this estranged area that we don't dwell on with each other because of my anti-Zionism. Um, and it's really interesting. We've breached it a little. She knows how I feel. She knows how Raymond feels about this. And we're very close in artistic ways. She's a painter. But tonight really brought up this contradiction. And I think it's just something that on so many levels it echoes in our societies, um, this contradiction and how to resolve some of that or think about it. So I just felt like I felt safe enough to share it in this group. And to remember it, actually. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Anyone else? You want to say anything? Uh, I'm crying a lot too. You know, you folks have been so moving. Everybody, Jane and Raymond. I don't know what poetry thing. See, the the so-called self-appointed literati. Those creatures. I don't deal with them either. <laughs> they don't deal with me or you. And they, they're not even worthy of mention. But poetry has always been diverse, as the, the people you've seen here. But one of the things I wanted to say about the issue is that if if a child, a girl child or a boy child or a, an adult comes to you and will will talk to you about being molested and what have you, before you start calling their parents, please find out who the molester was and let them know where they can get help. And if the molester happens to be living in the house, that is the last place to call. And I've worked at several schools that that's exactly what they did. They would call the house and who comes to get them but the molester. You know, and that's that's a really scary thing. Um, you know, so if, if a woman, a man, or a child talks to you, that, that means they're really, because that's a hard thing to talk about. They're really entrusting you with something unbelievably painful. Then find out, you know, what exactly you're dealing with, and do not call the person that is doing the damage to help them, because that's not going to happen. Anyway, that's all I was saying. Thank you, all of you guys. I've been crying visibly and inside, and what have you, you guys got next to me, and also you also some beautiful hope things that came out of all this. And contrary to popular belief, but Jenny said. Yeah, one of those things was new, but one of those poems that I read was over 30 years old. Mm. So, and I don't, you know, if we write good stuff, it doesn't, it's ageless. It's only a number. Thanks. I want to thank everyone and just um, say that uh, those of you like, you know, uh, Carla, Wanda, and a number of you who shared stories about things I'm still writing those things, but I'm still, I, I realized when this poem poured out, it, it's like anger for looking at how women are viewed, like we're less than, so therefore we can take, um, just take advantage of, take advantage of her children, take advantage of her, 
and it is it just seems to be an ongoing theme through monotheistic belief systems because uh, you, you study other cultures mm. or you, you hang with other folks that that aren't in the, it's, it's a different story but um, I'm I'm listening to these stories tonight and I still have stories to uh, collect regarding um, you know foster care and the girls of several nationalities sitting in a circle in their teens talking about you know survival I just I have I've started it but it's like it's emotional I want to thank you for showing your vulnerability to uh, showing that tonight and uh, and thank you Kim and and Rich and uh, everyone thank you thank you everyone particularly Peggy because the truth of the matter is Peggy if you hadn't called me up it it would have been sidelined and I'm sorry to say that but it's the truth because I was you know, running about with life. And you were a reminder that this is important. Mm-hmm. And and the work that we're doing, hopefully if one person hears this, what we're talking about, and gets help, um, whether as an abuser or as someone who's abused, it doesn't matter. It, it just to get help. And so what we're doing is hopefully going to make a difference. And I feel like it makes a difference to us. You know, we tell our stories. You know, and 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 I think that's very healing, and yeah. I, and I I appreciate. I love you all so much. Thank you. Is it's like I feel like working the last couple of months at, together has been one of the happiest things I've ever done. So thank you very much. As, as working with you all as poets, just amazing. Uh, so if no one has anything else, we're gonna go. We're gonna go out of it. Anyone else? Well, I mentioned names, you know, um, someone has told me about mentioning names because you always leave someone out. And so, you know, there are others of you who are very deserving. And, of course, my dear friend Carla had to be in that pack. And if I'm leaving anyone out, slap me the next time you see me. Thank you for that history, Nina. Yes. That was really, really special to hear. Um, I learned a lot about the, you know, the the origins of this, and your that was a beautiful introduction. Thank you. It was really beautiful, and and Kim, thank you for being so brave to tell the history of what happened. <laughs> to you and your family and and Carla everyone just amazing I'm, I I am humbled just hearing everyone's story thank you so I guess we're going to go out we're quick we're question oh, quick sorry. question what's <laughs> next Kim Kim what you know what can we look for what's coming down the road down the you track? know December 13th we're having our Afrofuturistic poetry and okay. a couple yeah I'm watching a couple of other people <clears throat> And then we we all should, you know, try to at least every three months as Wake Up America Poets, we should all try to do something because we all work so well together. It, it's it's a joy to be with you all, a real joy. You know? So so are we done, guys? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love you all. And everybody. Maybe if um Kim, one last more request for some organizer to save the chat and maybe email it to all of us. Oh sure, sure. I, I could even save the chat. Not an issue. Okay. Um 
So I will sh- save the chat right now. And, and oh, as I said... we all can. I didn't know if we all could. Oh, yeah. I, I think... Can oh, everyone okay. I, 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 I don't know. Yeah, just no. click on the three dots. Yeah, it says oh, yeah. save chat. If you click on the little three dots at the bottom right, it'll yeah. say save it's, chat. It saves from the time you came on. Okay, yeah. Oh, I saved okay, it. Okay, but so like, maybe so like if, I can't have the whole chat because I came okay. on over so an hour late. But I can, Kim, it I would be good it. if you could send it yeah. around. Sure, sure, yeah. I'll send it to everyone. Guys, to have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm mm. very grateful. And an un-Thanksgiving as well. Oh, excuse me, un-Thanksgiving. Is that call it thanks stealing? It's a festival, not a holiday. It's not holy. Year, uh, I do a big special Jim Pepper. Thanks stealing. I like that. Show <laughs> eight to ten KPSA, a musician that everybody should know about, but there is no Native American superstar. That you oh yeah. You need to hear his music from eight to ten KPSA tomorrow night. But anyway, okay. okay, and what I want to I want to say one last thing, which is that um, I want each and every one of you to be back at the next uh, gathering. So that means that you know, continue to do whatever you're doing that got you here. Stay safe. Bottom gathering line. of the tribe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So everyone, stay Thank safe. You. You know. All right, have a good one. Peace. Love you guys. Okay. Bye bye.